Metric surveillance slavery state under the guise of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, you may have noticed that many of the powers building and promoting this system have a soft spot for digital currency. Many digital currencies, both currently existing and in the works, are being used to build the infrastructure for complete centralized control and the eradication of privacy, specifically financial privacy. Hence the war on cash and the lesser discussed war on encryption and bid to label privacy-focused cryptocurrencies as national security threats and drivers of so-called cybercrime. Many of the most predatory pilots of the Fourth Industrial Revolution technologies, which are routinely tested on refugees, stateless people, and other incredibly vulnerable populations, involve linking digital ID in some sort of digital currency or token. As is to be detailed in Unlimited Hangouts' next installment of our Sustainable Development Goals series, the UN specifically links mandatory digital ID globally to financial inclusion and argues that digital currencies are necessary in order for so-called sustainable development to advance. While the pitfalls and dangers of digital currencies are more apparent than ever, there is a cultural rift among those who, at least once upon a time, saw certain technologies and developments under this umbrella, like blockchain and Bitcoin, as a potential exit ramp from the road towards centralized tyranny and control by building a permanently decentralized monetary system. Bitcoin specifically, allegedly anyway, was created in response to the 2008 economic crisis and the corrupting influence of central banks and the criminal activity of commercial banks. While some Bitcoiners have fought to uphold these values, many powerful actors in the Bitcoin space and the broader cryptocurrency sphere are undermining this ethos or building systems that completely oppose the original impulse that led to Bitcoin's creation. Among those of us who oppose the rollout of the 4IR system and the mass implementation of the biometric surveillance state, is it still possible to work with digital currencies and oppose the increasing push to digitalize everything? Is a decentralized digital existence still feasible or increasingly becoming a pipe dream? Joining me today to discuss these issues and more is Mark Goodwin. Mark is the director of editorial for print at Bitcoin Magazine. He is also the author of several pieces about misguided and even nefarious efforts to centralize Bitcoin and the author of the upcoming book entitled The Bitcoin Dollar. Welcome to Unlimited Hangout, Mark. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Whitney. It's an honor to be here. I'm very excited to talk about all these things. Well, there is definitely no shortage of things to talk about. Uh, here, that's for sure. And, uh, well, you know, we have a lot to get into. Mm -hmm. uh, with that being said, uh, these days there are uh, several mainstream and academic articles that deal with uh, what they term crypto-colonialism, or rather cryptocurrency being used to entrench and deepen neo-colonialism and neoliberalism, etc., so a lot of these articles, uh, one example we'll have in the show notes is the article Blockchain Humanitarianism and Crypto-Colonialism, which was published last year in the Patterns Journal. Uh, another example is an article from 2021, which is from Vice, a publication I'm usually not a fan of, but this article did bring up some important issues, but also conflated uh, things they probably shouldn't have conflated. So this article is entitled Crypto Colonialist Use the Most Vulnerable People in the World as Guinea Pigs. Um, and I'll just read a quick excerpt here. So, quote, 
UK nonprofit Oxfam, in partnership with an Australian financial app, has developed an eyebrow raising solution for uh, Vanuatu, uh, which is a Pacific uh, island in the Pacific Ocean, I guess. Um, it says a disaster relief payment system that runs on blockchain and cryptocurrency so that when other systems go down, people can still pay for essentials. Quote, the idea was that as soon as a disaster event happened, they can switch on this economy, explained Pete Housen, a senior lecturer at Northumbria University who studies cryptocurrency and blockchain in an interview. When the situation becomes less dire, the system can be shut down, but it's not the Vanuatu people who control the system. It's just someone at Oxfam that decides when the disaster is over and people lose their economic sovereignty. Uh, continuing on, it goes on to say Ox Oxfam's blockchain intervention in Vanuatu is part of a broad trend in charity and aid work toward innovation and solutionism, the belief that every social problem has a technological solution via programs based on blockchain and cryptocurrencies. Non-government organizations and aid agencies have said that the shift from dollars to Bitcoin will enable a more efficient, transparent charity system. But along with aid, these technologies bring surveillance and political pressures, undermine local sovereignty, and create resource allocation controls on recipients. So, yeah, I'll stop there. Uh, but in this article, they conflate, you know, this Oxfam program and similar programs like the absolutely horrible and Orwellian uh, building blocks program of the World Food Program and the UN. Um, and mm -hmm. so they conflate those with a variety of uh, cryptocurrency and Bitcoin related projects. And there's also a conflation of all cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. So uh, first, do you think that conflation is wrong and why? And second, how might some people who see crypto, Bitcoin, et cetera, as a means of escaping central bank control enabling the same kind of control grid currently being pursued by central banks? Yeah, phenomenal question. Um, I, I definitely, uh, I see Bitcoin and the extended cryptocurrency space as very separate things um, in terms of like, you know, what what we can actually use them as as, as tools. Like I think Bitcoin is, is a very powerful tool um, in the right hands and used in the right way and not perverted away from its actual core, you know, decentralized property. Um, and a lot of these other coins are just simply not decentralized um, in any way. So, you know, Bitcoin really works, um, you know, because it's, it's, uh, its consensus is held up, um, you know, by node runners that the cost of running a node is, is very cheap. It's, it's internet and electricity costs and, you know, maybe a few hundred gigabytes of, uh, of, of hard drive space, very minimal computation. Whereas you get into some of these like Ethereum and, and, and uh, you know, I think we'll talk about Cardano and some of these other ones later. And, and they have a, a, a much bigger, um, uh, you know, entrance fee, basically, to participate in the system. Um, whereas Bitcoin, you can literally just download core and, and sync a node on, on like an old, an old laptop. Uh, totally fine. So there's a huge separation, I think, of just from that, um, you know, what the Bitcoin blockchain is and how it's actually, you know, decentralized consensus across the world, um, really a lot of these secondary alternative currencies are really kind of like a perversion or like a bastardization of what Satoshi Nakamoto brought to us in a way to not, you know, neuter the state's ability to debt pardon like Bitcoin does, but rather like encourages the state, right? You know, blockchain is, 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 is a technology and like any other technology, it can be used for freedom and you know it's wonderful freedom tech um you know when applied in, within bitcoin 
But then you look at some of these alternative chains and it's like they're running, you know, petrodollars basically in the form of stable coins. Um, and they're creating, you know, a completely transparent ledger um, for the the transfer of, yeah, of like state issued debt, basically. Um, and surveillance probably too, right? Oh, because, yeah. Because, you know, it's a publicly available yeah. ledger. So, I mean, that's yeah, essentially I mean, where a lot of this goes to, including CBDCs, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin, I like to, I like to say that it's a transparency technology. Um, I think a lot of people sort of mistake it for a privacy technology, um, kind of because of some of its original use cases, you know, being, uh, you know, kind of a black market money, um, you know, in its early days and its first happening cycle when it was, you know, inflating at, you know, 50% of all Bitcoin ever issued were in those first four years. And so we're seeing a lot of it come out. It's 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 a fast money. You want to spend it quickly until the happening, you know, reduces this issuance. Um, so we saw a lot of people using it for drugs, a lot of people using it for, I'm sure, horrible, horrible things as well. I'm, I'm sure it was used, um, you know, for a lot of the things that I'm sure we'll get into with, with yeah, but you know, so trafficking. Cash, right? and, yeah, of course. <laughs> absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I mean, no, no, no currency it uses more or supports more crime than the dollar. It's it's not even close. Um, and I actually believe we just had Elizabeth Warren come out and, and make some ridiculous comparison or, or 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 something about how cryptocurrency is funding the fentanyl market, um, which is just ridiculous. It's like yeah, don't go after the after the Sacklers or any right. of the families no, that we no, know have like no. caused well, the crisis. Yeah, exactly. Or the giant influx of of fentanyl from you know like from the CPC. It's like it's coming into into our borders. We know that. Um, I think to 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 blame this on blockchain is 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 ridiculous so i guess long and short uh yes there's a false um you know connection between these alternative currencies that are designed to enrich the privileged few that are around the proverbial money printer or like if it's a staking system or whatever you know this issuance of currency um you know we're, we're just recreating central banking basically with much more uh you know ability to surveil and to control and to blacklist, um, to like destroy, um, you know, unsanctioned transactions or wallets that have used mixers or any of these privacy technologies. Um, a lot of these other chains just allow that to happen. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a huge false connection there. <clears throat> and then the second part of the question was, remind me again. Um, how might some people who see crypto and Bitcoin and so on as a means of escaping central bank control, might, right. how, how might they be enabling the same kind of control grid currently being pursued by central banks and you yeah. know, other actors? Totally. So, yeah, Bitcoin is, is, a, is, an, is an open ledger and it's a permissionless database, really. Um, at the end of the day, the way that you like make a transaction is you imbue data um, that can be um, you know, publicly published um, but can't be modified um, there's actually no decryption or encryption used in publicly within bitcoin it's all publicly key cryptography so everything is open every transaction is out there it's in the world um, and the base layer the database itself um, you know every 10 minutes there's a uh, you know a few megabyte block that gets produced by um, the network um, that can contain any information um, that anyone wants to imbue into it. Um, obviously, generally, these are financial transactions. And innately, anything on Bitcoin is a financial transaction because it requires a fee to get in the block. But it's an open database. And now we have people building um, 
you know, there's this group, uh, again, not to try to burn too many Bitcoin bridges here, but there's a very popular group within um, the Bitcoin space, Lightning Labs. They were one of the very, very beginning, um, you know, uh, propagators, I guess, of the idea of the Lightning Network, which is this scaling mechanism that goes on top of Bitcoin that basically allows mm -hmm. you to share, um, you know, a UTXO which is an unspent transaction output, which are kind of like the denominations of Bitcoin, like the bills. Um, and so they've been working on this project now for a few years um, that uh, was called Taro, and now it's called Taproot Asset Protocol because um, they got sued actually for using someone else's name. Um, but what basically the point of, of the system is to be able to imbue um, other assets in, natively into the Bitcoin base layer. And the main one that they're looking to do, of course, is petrodollars or stable coins. Um, <clears throat> and there's this kind of whole general sort of consensus within Bitcoin that I, you know, violently disagree with. Um, and a lot of people just cheer it on of how, you know, hey, let's not, you know, Michael Saylor was quoted at Pacific Bitcoin last year as saying, you know, let's not be martyrs. Let's not fight the system. Um, you know, let's adopt the dollars and and dollars being on lightning. Um, you know, via this this tarot asset protocol um, is going to be like ten trillion dollar industry, and you know we're all going to make a bunch of money, and number going to go up, and you know this is going to be so great. We'll be able to give you know the global South basically access to dollars, and it's this virtue signaling thing. We'll give three billion people the ability to use Bitcoin, and then they kind of mumble the, the the dollar part of it, and it's like, are we really like, is is really the point of Bitcoin here to globalize? the dollar and put it on faster rails, increase the monetary velocity of the dollar. Um, and in my opinion, obviously, it's not. I mean, the whole point of Bitcoin is to neuter the state's ability to debt pardon and to print money and to issue these these treasuries. And now Bitcoiners, you know, at the highest level, these are the best paid people that the smartest devs are kind of going to this this, uh, you know, this this group of people. Um, and they're, they're they're literally putting dollars on the base layer. And yeah. So it's, really quick, though, isn't yeah. an, another motive behind Bitcoin supposed to be bypassing central banks, but also banks in general? Um, well, that's kind of a big thing. That's a bit of a, a confusion within the space as well. Um, I mean, I think the 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 actual blockchain like Bitcoin is like blockchain in general is a pretty lossy technology. Like it's pretty clunky. Um, it's very expensive. Um, you know, to, to to basically to use this very small growing database that has a limited amount of transactions that can be, you know, in a in a set block uh, mm -hmm. every 10 minutes or so. So there's actually absolutely limitations to how many people Bitcoin can serve um, on the base layer. And there are mathematical limitations to how many people can actually own, you know, self-custody Bitcoin um, on the main on the main chain. Um, you right. know, we got 8 billion people or whatever, and we wouldn't be able to have 8 billion UTXOs. So we, we do have to create systems and scaling solutions that work within Bitcoin. And I think some of those things will end up kind of looking like Bitcoin banks. Um, and how Finney, who was, you know, kind of considered, you know, he was the first person to receive Bitcoin from Satoshi um, and kind of considered, you know, very likely to be a part of the Satoshi team that created Bitcoin. And he has a bunch of quotes at the very beginning of Bitcoin in like 2010, um, even earlier, saying that, you know, I think the future of Bitcoin is Bitcoin backed banks. 
And and I think a big part of Bitcoin's misunderstanding is that it's not really prepared to replace the dollar necessarily as a medium of exchange, but it can replace U.S. treasuries as this government issued you know reserve asset. Like the dollar isn't really the reserve currency of the world, or it's not the reserve asset of the world. It's really U.S. treasuries, and Bitcoin mm-hmm. can replace that, and we can still have. I mean, trust is trust is still an important part of being a human being. You know, I mean, you you can't sure. create a lot of these financial situations, mortgages and and some credit and debt creation, like without, you know, trust. Um, and I think people think that technology will sort of replace all human trust. And, and that's just not really necessarily possible. Um, so like, yeah, we're going to have to have solutions where there are custodial moments, um, you know, hopefully for a very short period of time to kind of limit the ability for someone to be debased. Um, but yeah, it takes away, you know, fully fractionally reserved, um, you know, kind of the system that we have set up right now in U.S. banking. Um, it's ridiculous. Um, Caitlin Long out of Wyoming just tried to do a bank um, that would be, you know, kind of considered a narrow bank, which, you know, would have a one to one reserve. And the Federal Reserve didn't give it Federal Reserve status because if one bank went narrow, it would mess up every other fractional reserved uh, bank in, in the whole system. So I think there will be trust. There will be Bitcoin banks. Um in the future, but they can be created by Bitcoiners. They can be created by, you know, freedom forward people that are going to, you know, okay, not use this as a way to just surveil your, your economics, uh, your economic activity. We can actually build these mints that are use blind signatures that are very, very, very private. Um, and, and we can hopefully take away, you know, the federal reserve and the treasury's ability, uh, you know, to, fund all of these crazy projects, blow out the debt limit. And then anytime it comes up, oh shit, you know, time to pay the piper. They can just issue more debt and sell it to, you know, all across the world, to Japan, to, to the Bahamas, to China. Um, those are kind of the, the, the three biggest ones. Um, right. And I don't think Bitcoin destroys the bank um, as a general concept, but it definitely limits the no, state's ability. I didn't, I didn't mean kill off the banks right. i just mean as a way you can like in theory right bypass the banks by paying oh, yeah. people and something you know alternative yeah, good, to the dollar right totally and and in this peer-to-peer way you know it doesn't rely on any intermediaries you know yeah. whereas if you're if you're using a zelle or a fucking venmo or whatever it, or a google pay or whatever it's you know you're entirely up to the whim of of the the payment channels whereas in bitcoin yeah i mean that is its value proposition is that you can send trustless transactions in an adversarial environment um and they they will be processed immutably um i mean that is the 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 value prop of bitcoin um so it definitely it definitely messes with the state's ability to to debt pardon unless you know bitcoiners all come together and 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 get this weird social consensus that no we need to put petrodollars on the base layer we need to support these companies like a tether or a usdc these huge stablecoin providers Tether's up to like $80 billion. They're now coming out, you know, because interest rates are so high now, they're like making oodles of money. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, they're making five yeah. and, and, a, and a quarter percent on, on the billions of dollars of these papers that they're holding. Um, and now they're buying Bitcoin with it. Um, now they're doing other things because they're making so much money. Mm-hmm. And so this group, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're incredibly uh, influential in the Bitcoin space. Um, and they're very connected to a lot of kind of strange things that have happened. You know, there was a big Bitfinex hack, um, maybe like eight years ago or so that it was like a, 
like just under 200,000 Bitcoin were stolen. Um, and this, this is the, the same people that do the, the tether issuance. It's all the same ownership. And, um, you know, of course they then did a, they issued some shitcoin token to kind of make up the loss that they, that, you know, this Leo security and sold a bunch of it. And then it ended up being that the, uh, person that hacked the, the Bitcoin was keeping it in like a Google drive, uh, the keys in a Google drive. And it was these like two Gen Z kids. Um, this, this woman kind of infamously Razzlecon, who was like this, like Instagram rapper, mumble rapper, totally ridiculous. Um, all this crazy iconography wow. and she had all the Bitcoin in her, um, you know, just like saved in a Google doc. And so of course the DOJ seizes it. Now the DOJ has all of that Bitcoin. Um, and these are the same people that are, you know, issuing dollars. They're, they're propagating the ideas of putting dollars on the base layer, and they're incredibly influential, just like in the in the, you know, the spoken space of Bitcoin. Um, you know, there's spaces running all day. There's big influencers that a lot of them are paid for by, you know, this stable coin. And uh, I, I have a lot of issues with it. I mean, there's a lot of really nice people, of course, you know, in the space that, you know, I'm not trying to say everybody's a bad person or anything like that. I love a lot of those people. Um, but also, you know, there's there's an issue here of dollarizing Bitcoin and continuing to propagate, you know, the biggest U.S., you know, the biggest terrorist organization in the world is the U.S. government. And if we continue to buy debt and and do this weird orange washing uh, thing that we're doing, yeah, um, it's it's absurd. I think it's very against the, the you know, like what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, like right. why why are we doing this? Well, if you're dollarizing Bitcoin, then instead of Bitcoin being something that um, you know challenges. The central banks you're giving the federal reserve you're allowing it to continue to have the power it has which was absolutely you know, the problems of that was supposed to be the motive behind bitcoin's creation right to a yeah. significant extent I mean, I, so absolutely i mean i think there's a there's a there's a good thread that you know bitcoin was created um very very likely you know directly out of the 2008 crisis you know in in the first block there's a note to uh a UK Times article that's like the chancellor on the brink of second bailout for the banks. Um, and Bitcoin was, was you know, launched, you know, it was announced Halloween of 2008 and was launched at the start of 2009. Um, and, and you could argue, and I think a lot of people do relatively successfully, that perhaps Bitcoin, um, you know, was coming out of, you know, the U.S. government or U.S. intelligence um, as a way mm -hmm. to create a neutral base asset um, for the debasement, the economic debasement that was coming via the printing that had to happen when, you know, all these CDOs and the, the whole real estate market imploded in the great financial crisis. And so I kind of propose this theory that the, this idea of like the Bitcoin dollar, which is an analog to the petrodollar. Um, so the idea that, you know, when Nixon, you know, did the, the gold shock, um, or took us off the Nixon shock, took us off the gold standard in 71, you know, we immediately, um, mm -hmm. you know, invaded, invaded the Middle East and started uh, setting up basically a financial monopoly on the ins and outs of petrol um, and oil um, as a means to sort of control both industrializing nations, but also, hey, we need to print money. Um, we want credit expansion, uh, but we want to have a guaranteed buyer to be able to buy up our debt. Um, so they created a monopoly on the ins and outs of, you know, you had to use U.S. dollars to buy this energy commodity that's oil. 
Um, So if you wanted to industrialize, you got to buy dollars so we can print dollars all day and we know we have a guaranteed buyer. Right. And now you Um, have the powers that be moving to this post oil world or pushing us that way. So obviously they need a new financial system that doesn't involve the petrodollar. And so where where do you see um, those actors see you know what benefit would they reap from this bitcoin dollar you you talk about yeah yeah totally i mean i to me it's i think it's the exact same mechanism um you know you want your money your in your money standard to be tied to energy um because you want it to be hard to source you don't want it to be something you know like literally you can go print the dollar on trees or whatever you want it to be something that if you want to create more credit you know it, it, it there's a cost exp- you know expenditure to be able to extract that energy commodity that's what bimetal standards are the gold standard really is an energy standard you still have to get the gold out of the ground and that requires um, energy right mm-hmm. exactly and and oil's exactly the same way mm-hmm. and so bitcoin is an energy standard um it requires you know its issuance requires a significant amount of energy um, to be able to submit enough cryptographic hashes to to you know have a chance of winning basically a, a you know a, a lottery every 10 minutes um, to see if you can you can produce a block and get the the rewards and so we've sort of recreated that exact same mechanism over the Bitcoin uh, energy commodity system um, where we've and I say we obviously like America I, I have nothing to do with it I, I want this all to burn down but you know America has basically set up a monopoly on the ins and outs of Bitcoin purchasing and selling. Um, and you know, well over 95, I think it's even, it's closer to like 97, 98% of all Bitcoin pairs and trades and volume are in us dollar denominated, um, you know, tokens, whether it's actually literally us dollars or these like stable coins that we're talking about. And, um, I mean, literally it's called tether, right? I mean, it's like tethering itself, the dollar to Bitcoin. Um, so you create mm-hmm. the, the, the main difference with Bitcoin is that there's a cap supply. And its issuance is asymptotically approaching zero uh, and then eventually actually does round down to zero, um, you know, in the after the 33rd happening or in the 33rd epoch after the 32nd happening, there's no more Bitcoin being produced. That will be around like 2140 or so. And so there's a cap supply on the actual growth um, uh, and supply of, of, of Bitcoin. So it's dema- it's very demand inelastic. So if demand is super, super high and you're on a gold standard, you know, gold four X's, you know, you can send, you know, three more people to the mine uh, to mine gold. You can extract it out more because, you know, you, you can actually get more of the gold out because it's worth more. Me and you would be panning for gold in our backyard and selling, you know, our chains and whatever, because it's worth a bajillion dollars. And, and then you'll see, you know, the supply will increase because demand is so high, there's so much more supply that hits the market. Bitcoin, it, it doesn't do that. It doesn't matter how many people are trying to find the next block. It's always going to produce the same amount of Bitcoin. Um, and so it is this very unique, you know, we've never had a monetary system um, that has a capped, you know, supply. I mean, it has a finite uh, amount that can never be produced. That's never existed before. Um, that, that, that's a state change of money in a very significant way. And, um, you know, that's that's a phenomenal thing for monetary growth uh, in general. And that's why I am so interested in Bitcoin, because I understand that, you know, hey, this is a state change. And if we use this moment and we seize this opportunity to, to get some basically of this kind of like real estate um, and the future economy of the world, you know, like we should see pretty significant um, in, increase of wealth. 
Um, and how do we use that? What are the things that we're going to, you know, a lot of us that have been in Bitcoin for a while have made some money and it's like, what are we doing here? Are we just going to go relax and let it be completely dollarized and just, you know, let the global South just get, you know, kind of blacklisted and all these stupid, um, you know, stable coin. Like there's this whole thing of like banking the unbanked and it's like, you're just charging them a fee to use your bank account. Do you still have counterparty risk? You know, we saw some of these banks that hold paper for these stablecoin companies go under in the last six months. And, you know, is that really giving this this virtue service to the global south that, you know, we just, you know, created a mechanism for them to get rugged by U.S. banks? I mean, it's a joke. Yeah, that's messed up for sure. And I, I do want to talk about what you just said, this whole idea of banking the unbanked. And I know that at the recent Bitcoin conference, which you and I both uh, spoke at, um, there were was talk of that as like a good thing, banking the unbanked. And that, that phrase really concerns me because it's what mm -hmm. the UN and a lot of the, yeah. uh, the BIS and the European mm -hmm. Central Bank and all of these guys, even the Federal Reserve say that exact same thing right yes and what you're talking about is you know how how bitcoin is being dollarized and enabling those same actors to really continue to engage in bad monetary policy and you know which translates into a lot of predatory behavior specifically directed at the global south i mean it seems like a total uh mess here especially for those of us that are looking to build parallel systems to resist right um this push to centralized control. Um, so I guess my question would be um, this whole situation we're talking about, who do you think is likely uh, to win out then? I guess we're talking about essentially a cultural rift in Bitcoin. And some people have, I guess, been making compromises with the existing system, not seeing it as all bad and needing to be thrown out. And I guess the big theme of my work is that, yes, it does all need to be thrown out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, yeah, and I'm with you 100%, which is why I'm so glad that you're engaging with the space, because I think we need more people speaking honestly and truthfully. And it's like, of course, there are good people that work at all these companies and whatever and blah, blah, blah. Sure, of course. But it's well, like... I don't think it's a value judgment. I just, right. You know, I agree. Maybe I agree. people don't realize maybe what they're doing and that yeah. they've gotten kind of far from the whole ethos of the, you know, that was originally behind all of this. We've gotten so we've gotten so far from the ethos. I think the the cypherpunks and and this is why you know I know I said earlier that it's possible that Bitcoin kind of came out of like U.S. intelligence and I think it's definitely I, a possibility that absolutely. people should acknowledge. Yeah, of course, of course. And and I have a whole theory we can talk about with John Nash, which which associates you know to Rand out of Santa Monica, and he was writing papers to the NSA about encryption and all this. And there's a there's a big connection there. But I think the 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 extropians and the and the cypherpunk you know mailing list the, these people that included Hal Finney and Nick Zabo, um, you know a lot of these these you know they're basically you know anarchist capitalist you know coders. Um, I think a lot of the writing you know when I go back and read a lot of that stuff, I mean I think it really is in the right place, um, and I think the ethos of sort of early Bitcoin. Um, and my first interactions with it were in like 2014 and, uh, you know, I didn't really understand that it was something that like could go up in value. I really just saw it as a medium of exchange and I didn't understand that until a couple years later. Um, but I think the ethos has changed significantly in the last few years. It's like we saw institutions arrive. Um, you know, we saw the stable coin providers go from being, you know, uh, basically a pet project on top of Bitcoin 
into being this like dominant share of like literally dominating the Ethereum network. Basically, the, the, the dollarization of Ethereum has allowed it to be state captured. Um, and obviously, JP Morgan, you know, has a huge hand in that. Um, mm -hmm. From the very beginning, they own a lot of crucial infrastructure in Ethereum and they dollarized it up so much that the actual native asset weight on Ethereum is now more in stable coins than actually in Ethereum itself. Yeah, and, which is and really quick, I just want to add JP Morgan, right, run by Jamie Dimon, who helped build Citigroup and JP Morgan and Citigroup basically own, as they do own, the New York Fed which yep. is the dominant force on the Federal Reserve. So they essentially also dominate the central bank paradigm we're talking about. Sorry, continue. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the, I think these big American banks are, uh, you know, a huge part of, you know, kind of what I'm getting at, where it's like the institutions have arrived. You know, they really came in 2017 when, uh, you know, we first broke, you know, 10K and, and then later 20K. And that's when we saw all these institutions show up. Um, and a lot of them were kind of talking shit you know, at the time of, you know, kind of pushing it down. And now they're all like offering services. JP Morgan has like JPM coin or whatever. Um, and then, of course, you know, this huge investment in, in the infrastructure of Ethereum. So I think the U.S. banking system right now, uh, you know, it has a lot of choices to make um, about how they, uh, you know, basically try to parasitically attach themselves to Bitcoin. Um, and I think that the Bitcoiners in general are losing kind of the social information war, uh, if you will, about, you know, what's actually happening here. Lightning Labs themselves, again, good people there, but, uh, you know, they, they're, they're, one of their phrases is Bitcoinize the dollar um, when they're talking about adding, you know, the dollar to the base layer. And it's kind of really the opposite. You're kind of dollarizing Bitcoin, quite literally. Um and yeah, you're, you're empowering these bankers and you brought up the BIS earlier and it's like, you know, uh, Elizabeth Stark of, of Lightning Labs did some consultation um, for the World Economic Forum in 2016 in August um, in, in collaboration with Deloitte, this, P, this thing called Ooh. the future, the future yeah. of financial infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, she's actually listed as just Lightning Network, like Lightning Labs. I don't even know if was was set up at the time. The Lightning white paper had come out, but the Lightning Network hadn't even existed yet. It relied on some blockchain or rather some Bitcoin. Bitcoin uh, um, uh, there was a fork called SegWit that allowed um, the ability for Lightning to exist. So and that didn't actually go live until 2017. So this is a couple of years before um, Lightning was even, you know, at at sort of a workable stage. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, Project Icebreaker came out of the BIS, which is a collaboration with the Norges Bank and the Bank of Israel um, and uh, Norway and Sweden and obviously the BIS. And, and they created this and this came out in March of this year. And it's basically this idea of how to use domestic, you know, retail CBDCs. And literally it uses the exact same channel mechanism and technology that is a, an essential part of how the Lightning Network works. These things called HTLCs. I don't want to get too much into the technical weeds, but literally, you know, we have paper trails of consultation, uh, you know, from the people building these systems. And now, years later, we're actually seeing CBDC systems being being generated that literally use the exact same probabilistic time locked um, code uh, and and settlement structure. These payment channels. Um, to enable CBDCs, you know, and this is this is right out of the BIS. Um, and so, 
we're seeing, you know, collaboration of of banker of bankers uh, and some of the worst people in the world with like, you know, these cypherpunk Bitcoin thought leaders. And it's like, what are we again? What are we doing here? Not to keep saying that it's a cop out, but like, what are we doing here? Are we trying to build the Panopticon here? Or are we trying to build yeah. an alternative? You well, know? It's, it sort of reminds me of um, so Yasha Levine's book, Surveillance Valley. He has a section mm -hmm. on the people behind Tor, I guess, Roger Dingledine, oh, yeah. right? And how he was basically collaborating with the people that Tor was supposed to be evading, you know? So I guess he was. Yeah, it was funded by DARPA, wasn't it? Right. Uh, I can't remember. It might have been like naval intelligence or something, okay, but yeah, something yeah, yeah. like I that. I can't yeah, I yeah. can't exactly um, remember the specifics because I read it, you know, several, <laughs> several years ago and I only have so right. much space in my brain. Um, but, he, you know, I mean, he was basically like letting the feds know first when there was a vulnerability in Tor so they could exploit right. it and all sorts right. of stuff. And this is a guy that was held up as being a cyber funk, whatever, you know, right. and. He's, yeah, uh, and it's, he's not yeah. right. He's acting like a Fed. <laughs> exactly, and <laughs> and, and we have to wake up. I think in general of like like counter dissonance is a very real thing. Oh, for um, sure. It's it's huge and it's 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 prolific and and uh, you know we're seeing so much of it. Whether it's Noam Chomsky, I mean, it's hilarious to me that the Noam Chomsky stuff in the sick way because it's like you know I, I read Manufacturing Consent. You know, I I actually. I literally serve been doing exactly. It's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. oh, it's a cookbook, apparently not a warning. You know, it's like how to do yeah. this. Um, well, also and people like Elon Musk and Peter. Yeah, Thiel, right. Absolutely. So Elon Musk, for example, you know, being like, oh, I'm going to buy Twitter because I'm a free speech absolutist. And then it becomes freedom of, of speech is not freedom of reach. And then, it, you know, it's already mm -hmm. uh, taken the step to where they're taking down more posts for the government than before musk bought it and whatever but he has this you know very i guess like two-faced persona where he has this one public relations produced face where he's like oh i'm anti-establishment yada 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 and then you know on the other side he couldn't be more of an establishment goon you know 100 I, I feel yeah thing built by government subsidies and exactly uh, military intelligence contractor building the everything app which is going to have house all of your data and be a huge a dominant force in the fintech space going forward and you all of that and no one and you know the brain chip guy and <laughs> right? yeah and people are like oh this is you know some sort of like um savior promoting free speech and individualism like no he's saying that why are you believing him when his actions show the opposite and it seems like there's people 100%. doing this like within the bitcoin space that's supposed to be at least you know was viewed as being different culturally absolutely yeah a few years and, and, ago and yeah. you know it seems like there's a big cultural war within bitcoin going on yeah. at least if it's gonna fall victim to the same stuff or be an actual challenge to central bank tyranny yeah, I mean, even like Jack Dorsey, right? It's like he's a very big Bitcoin hero, and you know he's put in a bunch of money recently into scaling Bitcoin stuff and and into this Noster, this kind of Twitter uh, sort of alternative. But it's like he, this guy, ran a fucking spy shop for you know a decade. It's like what are yeah. we, what are we kind of doing here? And um, and uh, yeah, the Musk stuff is kind of ridiculous. And and I, I think especially like post you know lockdowns. I think we're seeing this kind of like strange class kind of come up of these like people that were, you know, I mean, Elon, you know, during, you know, 
during all that was very like, you know, the science is unequivocal, you know, he invested not... in CureVac and mRNA technology that exactly. produced the COVID vaccine. He shilled for it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like Tesla was literally building that. And, and now he's kind of coming out as this like free, yeah, this free speech, free press, uh, you know, basically anti-vaxxer like influencer guy. Um, and it's something that I've kind of, it's, I, I'm noticing it now, you know, as someone who kind of lived through the last couple of years and, um, you know, dealing with, you know, the social choices that, you know, by not choosing to do this medical procedure, you know, what I had to kind of deal with and then seeing, you know, I think like the majority of the voices now in the space, uh, are people that like were vaccinated, were speaking out very pro, you know, for it, uh, when it was going on. And now it's like, we're kind of seeing this sort of like the new heroes of, you know, this kind of controlled opposition coming up. And I look at even like the political candidates that are coming out. I mean, people are literally floating Jamie Dimon now. Uh, Insane. Absolutely embarrassing. Oh my God. But I mean, he um, basically does run the country. So he just exactly. wants to yeah, publicly yeah. run it. He would be the <laughs> only politician, I think, that if elected president would have less power. You know, like, yeah, no, debatable. Yeah. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Actually, as, as I said that out loud, I was like, actually, that's completely not true. Unfortunately, <laughs> I wish that was more true. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, it, it's absurd. And yeah, he's building this X dot com, um, which is, you know, basically like WeChat USA. Um, he controls the people that own WeChat are major investors in Tesla. Yes. Saying they're very financially yeah. interconnected. Absolutely. Seems important. <laughs> it seems very important. And and now we're building, you know, we're kind of cheering, you know, okay, these EV cars that have kill switches. Um, Starlink is going to be owned by this guy. That Yeah, I mean, I have a... You know, uh, Michael Hastings, anyone remember him? <laughs> I mean, I have a little Flipper Zero, which is this little, like, fun kind of hacking tool that you can, I can literally walk down the street and open up, you know, Tesla charging ports and stuff, you know, from the street, just walking around. Um and again, I don't, I'm not like against EV in this way. Like, I think there's a lot of stuff in there that's, that's really cool and powerful, but like the systems that are being built, the infrastructure, the, the literal colonialism of, you know, going to these places to, to strip them of resources, um, and then, you know, come back and sell them fucking stable coins that are powered on Twitter through Starlink. Um, it's just like the, like, I'm sorry, like you want to own the libs. So you want to, you know, support Elon Musk. And it's like, look at what he's building. Like what? what this is one of the scariest combinations of technology. Yourself and your children. Yeah. Yeah. yeah such a good <laughs> win. I'm really glad we did that. Um, oh, and uh, yeah, and it's absolutely absurd. And um, and this controlled dissonance is fucking everywhere. I mean, like I, I, I somewhat recently found out that like the Dalai Lama was paid like $15,000 a month by the CIA from like the late fifties into like 1974. And it's like, Oh, well that's how you get like a pro Vietnam Dalai Lama. You know, it's like, like, you know, same with Chomsky kind of with like nine 11 truth and, and, and invading, uh, you know, the middle East, it was like, Oh, well we can't, you know, I can't condemn it. I can't this. And it's just like, okay, these are supposed to be kind of the like spiritual, um, you know, dissonant leaders, you know, of our time. And it's like, we've just seen this co-option happen so many times, whether it's like the hippies in San Francisco being co-opted by the CIA with like all this ridiculous LSD MK ultra shit and blah, blah, blah. Like we've seen literal legitimate human. My point here is legitimate human movements uh, be co-opted in a very short period of time to become uh, like an enslavement or degenerate uh, or colonial movement 
um, after a very real, beautiful, tangible thing happened. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, post-summer love or whatever, or, you know, spiritual awakening, you know, into kind of what, you know, should be the the Dalai Lama stuff and then kind of being this controlled opposition. And I look at those and the reason why I think it's important to talk about them is because it's like that's happening in Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin yeah. is a state change. It is a powerful thing. I can validate my own transactions. I can send them without any single person in the world, um, in, you know, being an intermediary, which is, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's incredible. But now we have these actors and, you know, it's like, it's ridiculous to think of something as, as, as we consider as powerful and as dangerous as Bitcoin to be like, just left alone. It's like, no, they're going to do everything they can to neuter this technology. Um, and, 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 you know, neuter it at worst, uh, and at best co-opted in a way that it actually kicks the dollar's life and preserves the, you know, the the imperialism, the empire of America, yeah. you know, and that's just well, where we're at. Well, let's talk about um, some of the stuff that's going on uh, with the U.S. government as it relates to Bitcoin right now. So everyone knows there's this big regulatory push and we can talk about, you know, that with stable coins maybe later. Sure. But for the purpose of Bitcoin, you know, like what I talked about at the Bitcoin conference uh, was the effort to label Bitcoin a national security threat, but not necessarily Bitcoin itself, because as we've been talking about, there's very establishment, quote unquote, actors that are very uh, big into Bitcoin. So why would those, you know, controversial actors, I guess, or very close to the establishment actors be putting money in Bitcoin if it's probably going to be hit with a regulatory hammer of some capacity. Well, I think they're very um, interested, probably those guys in regulation happening. Like there was this article in the institutional investor called why the crypto world should embrace the Fed's crackdown. (laughs) And And it talks about how like basically this will make Bitcoin the regulatory crack crackdown will make Bitcoin, you know, worth it. And, you know, in, in my speech, I talked about this effort by the World Economic Forum Partnership Against Cybercrime, WEFPAC, which includes the FBI and the DOJ. And as you mentioned earlier, they have an insane amount of Bitcoin that they have seized, yeah. right? Making them essentially a Bitcoin whale that can influence the market. Sure. Right. Yeah. And they in WEFPAC, which is, you know, they're a part of, uh, they say that Bitcoin and uh, mixers, anything that allows Bitcoin transactions to take place with financial anonymity or increased financial privacy is what makes it a threat. So that has to be eliminated. But also the value of Bitcoin, on, I guess, until it would be regulated and not being hunted down by these guys, um, the value of it is a threat. So it needs to be devalued to stop, quote unquote, acting as a driver for cybercrime. So there's a bunch of really crazy stuff going on there, right? And I, I personally yeah. feel amazed that more people aren't wise to that. And the whole mm-hmm. idea to sort of paint um, any sort of privacy enhancing technology, including ones that aren't exclusive to Bitcoin, just like encryption, for example. I mean, Bill sure. Barr on, on the Trump administration was on the total war path against yeah. encryption, uh, trying to get a backdoor for the the DOJ and the FBI into everything that's encrypted. Um you know, not necessarily financial, like messaging and and stuff like that. You know, there's this huge effort to secure complete dominance over cyberspace while at the same time, these same actors are pushing everything and everyone online for everything. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's really disturbing. And so I think um, as it relates to Bitcoin, you know, this war going on, there is, there are these people that I guess have maybe at some level already like sold out and are going to let Bitcoin be used in this way. And then there are people like yourself 
who see it as this uh, off-ramp from increased centralized control. But the ways of using Bitcoin for those purposes are about, or, you know, there's an effort to criminalize that. Is there anything you'd, you'd like to comment um, as it relates to that? Yeah, I mean, I think just like as a general comment, like, I think there are so many ways that Bitcoin can monetize uh, in a very significant way and enrich, you know, the majority of Bitcoin holders. Um, and it actually create a system that's more uh, shitty for everybody <laughs> that, that that's ever that's ever existed. Like the issue with the dollar system is not, um, you know, it, 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 it's that it's it is obfuscated. Like we don't know when a lot of these changes are made. We we aren't privy to the closed door meetings that they vote on, um, you know, rate changes or or debt issuance or or any of these things. So I think like a lot of people I think are just getting kind of numb to the economic realities of Bitcoin kind of number go up and they're just at all costs. They want to see that happen. Um, and the the criminality of it is really interesting because it's like they're sort of self-admitting that it's a powerful technology while also trying to downplay that it's only for scammers and it's it's not important and it doesn't threaten the dollar. But they're also like putting out, you know, this propaganda that it's like very powerful and used by drug dealers and traffickers and, and cybercrime and all these things. So it's like they're kind of like I don't really understand what their dialectics are here. Um, it seems very confusing, uh, if you're paying attention to both sides of, of the purple party. Um, and, uh, yeah, I haven't really thought too much about like the criminalization of Bitcoin. Cause I don't really necessarily see that. I think it's too helpful, um, for the powers that be in a lot of ways, um, to, uh, you know, to, to sort of champion it in these little ways. Um, and really control the ins and outs. Um, they don't really have a lot of control over the actual system itself um, mm -hmm. unless they subsidize mining and they're able to kind of push towards getting um, some OFAC compliance like within block construction and transaction construction, which of course they can subsidize with dollars, which of course they're doing. Um, we've seen this happen a bunch of times uh, where with these big dollar financed operations, these mining operations, publicly traded companies that have mined thousands of Bitcoin, you know, oh shit, they file chapter 11. You go to look at the books, the stocks imploded, you know, you know 99% and uh, they have seven Bitcoin left. And it's like, well, where did all that Bitcoin go? Um, you know, how did that, how did that even happen? Even like an SBF thing or a Luna, like some of these, um, these big implosions that were you know, very likely government funded or government participated in businesses. Um, and then, you know, when the piper comes, it's like there's no Bitcoin left. And so it's like, well, where is this Bitcoin all going? Um, and you can look at some of it. You can see a lot of it was market sold on Binance, uh, like 30,000 Bitcoin were market sold on Binance after um, like Luna imploded, um, which was an algorithmic setup. Um, you know, it was something that, you know, could have absolutely been triggered by a knowing party. So I, 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 I see like so much um, potential for co-option, um, on the ins and outs and of surveillance and of, you know, sort of, you know, they're raising rates, which are crushing tax demand. It's like, well, we're going to start seeing capital gains tax rates go up. We're going to see them start going after using this KYC, this know your customer, uh, stuff. Yeah. If they've controlled the on-ramps, they can really, 
you know, it, again, it's an open ledger. They can see everything. I can see everything. I can go look at, you know, the Ukraine Bitcoin wallets and see where money's coming in. I can go look at exchanges, look at the Luna stuff. Like I can see all this stuff. You can kind of piece it all together. And I think that there's so much, uh, you know, ripe opportunity, unfortunately, for like chain analysis and 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 in these these government sized you know adversaries on the network um, that they can really put together uh, you know so much uh, they can triangulate so much of of your economic activity if you if you do any sort of public um, acknowledgement of a Bitcoin transaction um, and you know how do you do that you know you you create you know you add Bitcoin payments to Twitter for a few months or whatever, and you get people, you know, doing that, you get, you know, there's so many ways you can kind of socially engineer someone to expose their UTXOs, their Bitcoin holdings, you know, in a public way. People tweet about it all the time. People go to conferences, take pictures, they do this, they talk about how much they have, they talk about a buy. Um, and there's so many ways to kind of, yeah, like, I think we're at the silent, like the, the very clearly the powers that be are here. They're in Bitcoin. Uh, there's a lot of public speakers within Bitcoin that I'm sure are are, are not good faith actors. Um, but I think the majority is sort of silent and they're kind of just letting Bitcoiners kind of shoot themselves in the foot all over the place um, in this confidence that we've already won and this confidence that everything is private. Um, and this is a big issue that I've had with like a lot of people in the Bitcoin space talking about privacy and surveillance like you know there's this general assumption that everything on bitcoin or sorry everything on lightning is private um and it's just simply not true um if there's any sort of adversary in this open topology network um they can ping your nodes and and, and can really get a very good sense uh, of how much bitcoin you have and what you're spending you know that you've locked in the lightning channel um it's very easy you know metadata rules everything around us you know i mean it's just we know Vault 7, we, you know, we know that the NSA is spying on us. We know that they have these uh, hardware um, and surveillance networks. And they um, can frame any anyone they want for a cyber attack and hack absolutely. that was in Vault 7. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, hey, let's, okay, getting back to some of the, the lockdown stuff. It's like a lot of people literally were getting tested uh, and giving their social security numbers to... Uh, you know, these ridiculous, uh, you know, health organizations or people doing 23s and me's. And it's like, OK, now all these people have like DNA data. They have DNA data yeah. associated with your Social Security number. And now we have you on Twitter uh, sending a Bitcoin transaction uh, or posting a receipt of you buying Bitcoin. Um, it's like you you can triangulate that stuff so easily, frame people so easily. Um, there's so much like it's, it's such a, a kind of a dumb space, even though we've matured a lot in the last, you know, 10 something years. But there's so much uh, young activity, I think, um, you know, the implications, the future implications of like, you know, you shouldn't, you know, you, you, you send a tweet out about, oh, I stacked this amount. I did this. It's like in five years, that could be a life changing amount of money. And now you have timestamps of yourself saying all this stuff everywhere. Um, and I think that there's just so much. Uh, you know, fruit available to be picked at that. I think a lot of that stuff won't really come to fruition for a few years. Uh, but when it does, I think people are going to be really surprised at how much information they really leaked. Um, probably myself included, like, to be honest, you know, I mean, yeah, well, I wasn't saying that, like, you know, they're, um, I guess what I was trying to say earlier is that I feel like, what they're trying to criminalize isn't Bitcoin itself per se. What they're trying to criminalize is what 
uh, would afford Bitcoin transactions, increased financial privacy and financial anonymity, yes. meaning that Bitcoin would be allowed to exist, but really only in this sort of Bitcoin dollar paradigm that you're talking about, yeah. or really a Bitcoin digital dollar paradigm, since that's where yeah. the dollar is going, right? Yeah, hundred percent. And and I agree with you. I think that's kind of what I was trying to say. Of of like, you know, they're going to allow Bitcoin to exist, allow you to buy it, um, but you know, you're going to have to literally scan uh your face like i mean there are already places that are doing it there were exchanges that require a, a live selfie like a video of you yeah. turning your your you know front facing camera on your phone uh, and taking a 3d you know kind of video of your face to be able to withdraw your bitcoin um that that already exists um it's just you know kind of small it's not it's not on any of the huge 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 exchanges yet um, but that's going to continue to happen. I mean, they're going to get way, way crazier as they are getting more and more desperate. I mean, that's kind of the reality yeah. of the economic situation is like the government can't pay for itself. We pay more money to uphold the debt of the dollar than we do to pay our military. Um, that's sort of a, a, a point of no return. Um, and now we need to get as much capital gains taxes as possible. Um, so you're going to see some crazy shit, I think. Um, yeah, well, it's really ramping up already. Like in May, you had the FBI, I think they seized the domains of maybe like eight crypto exchanges that they said weren't doing the know your customer stuff enough. They were uh, affording anonymous, you know, um, giving giving their users anonymity and privacy um, in exchanging crypto for, for other currencies, right? So, um, you know, they're already going after the ones that aren't complying with this. And, you know, living in Chile, there's not a lot of crypto here, but the only crypto exchange here does require you, right, to like upload mm -hmm. your face mm -hmm. and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. So, I mean, there is a big push for all of that. And it's um, definitely, definitely unsettling to say the least. So I guess, uh, what do you think you, someone, you know, someone with the values that you have, if Bitcoin is sort of turned into that, would you continue to hold and use it? Yeah, I would, um, because I still think at its um, at its core, you know, what it offers is a financial economic system that even if it's completely perverted on the ins and outs and the on ramps and off ramps um, by, you know, you know, basically all the actors we're trying to to to, to neuter now, um, the the fact that the it is a, a disinflationary monetary policy. Um, and eventually a deflationary monetary policy is still a state change, even if it is entirely used, which is a very possible end game for Bitcoin, is that it is used as a reserve asset in between central banks and that the actual price of a main chain Bitcoin transaction priced in Bitcoin uh, is will be more than like, you know, a day's wage of minimum wage. Like that's entirely possible that we may just price out um, you know, your general citizens of being able to participate on the base layer um, because of the monetization of Bitcoin. But what it still does is, is it still limits the, the economic growth and the debt pardoning uh, special privilege from the state, even if they control the ins and outs, even if they're, you know, Bitcoinizing the dollar or dollarizing the Bitcoin. Um, you know, it, it still limits their ability uh, and and limits the the nefarious uh, ability between central banks um, to uh, basically to, to to have false reserves, right? It's a, it's still an auditable system. Um, so even if it is very co-opted and the ins and outs are very dollarized, it still is an economic state change that I still support. Um, I would probably be significantly less interested in the Bitcoin space. Um, I probably would be looking at 
you know, other kind of uh, privacy tools and other things, not not alternative currencies. I don't really think there's any real value in any other uh, cryptocurrency outside of Bitcoin. I really, truly believe that. Um, so, yeah, I think I would be like less excited about it. But I think economically, like I think that thesis is still intact, that it is a state change and it is a net good for the economy. Um, but you know, it's again, it's a tool and tools can be used to enslave people and they can be used to free people. Um, so I really hope that it doesn't go to that. Um, and I'm obviously, you know, burning bridges here trying to get the Bitcoiner community to wake the fuck up, um, and realize that it's actually probably about as likely as not likely. Um, it's about 50, 50 right now that that's kind of the outcome. I really think that, um, and yeah, well, I think it's worth burning the bridges personally, just because, um, you know, it's too important. It's way too important. Why, why would you want to have something that you've invested a lot of time and money and be used to build a slavery system? And then, you know, then you're sort of locked into supporting that slavery system unless you want to lose all that time and money you put into it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, true. Um, yeah, it's like to me, Bitcoin is a means to an end. Um, and without that uh, end kind of being, you know, and, and it's not just to make a bunch of money. Like, I don't really care. Um, that's kind of happened to a degree. And um, it's completely unfulfilling and I don't really care. It's like this is about our kids, kids. And, you know, uh, like it's about future stuff. I don't even really intend to touch any of my Bitcoin really at all uh, other than to build communities and systems and you know magazines and printing presses and uh you know broadcast studio equipment and all the things i've kind of built um or want to build um you know yeah it's this is about freedom of the human race and i think we've been enslaved for an exceptionally long time they've perverted our history they've perverted our um you know they propagandized our ability to connect with with each other in different parts of the world um, and Bitcoin can like uh, exacerbate all that or can really can really limit all that. Um, so, yeah, I really hope I agree. I agree. Burn the bridges. Why would I want to be bridged to these people anyway? Um, and uh, yeah, it's like this is this is really important that we get this right, especially, you know, within, uh, you know, the the there's only a few percent of Bitcoin even left to be issued. You know, the majority of the Bitcoin is owned and held by people. Um, and it has to be distributed. It's not an economic system that can just rely on yield um, or rely on interest rates. It's like you have to spend it if you want to you know, use it, which is which is great. Um, so we're in this rare moment in this first you know, 20 years of Bitcoin where you know, 99% of it of all Bitcoin will be issued. And these are the important moments where we actually can make decisions and limit people um, and push back on the counter dissonance and push back on this dollarization and not just recreate JP Morgan Bitcoin um, and and have these absolute freaks continue to run our lives. Um, you know, we actually have an ability to kind of, you know, we get a shot at the, at the beast neck here. Um, and if we fuck it up, it's entirely on us. Um, and uh, I really hope that that doesn't happen. I think there are enough really smart people in Bitcoin that have the time and the talent um, to build alternative scaling situations and to deal with some of these privacy things. We have some incredible stuff coming out um, using eCash, which was this 
um, invention by David Chom in the 80s, like 82, 83, he had this paper about using blind signatures to create near perfect privacy or entirely perfect privacy within a mint. And now we can use Bitcoin to sort of as the reserve asset for these mints. And we can whip them up in 30 seconds. And we can, we, we, you know, that we can create our own banks and these private mints, um, you know, at a whim. Uh, and we can kind of create this decentralized whack-a-mole where it's like, okay, you, you've identified that this person is a dissonant and is an enemy of the state. Well, you can whack them, but there's three more that will pop up when you do that. Um, and that's just a reality of kind of what we have to do. Um, we have to think really selflessly um, and realize that, you know, we have a chance and we can't let it go and we need to spend our money and put our words where our mouth is or whatever that phrase is, um, and do something about it while we still have a fucking chance. And if we continue to let Bitcoin be dollarized, you know, we've given up our one chance and not only have we given up our one chance, we've extended the life of the dollar probably. Um, and that's why I've been, yeah, screeching about this Bitcoin dollar thing because, and I wrote this book, um, because, you know, we've seen, you know, stablecoin coders get killed um we've seen them tweet out about how israeli and u.s intelligence are setting me up um and you know this guy nikolai Mushilin was then found you know drowned in the puerto rican waters with all of his clothes on you know a few days after MakerDAO, which was his creation voted as a community to put a you know a billion dollars into coinbase of usdc it's like there's this wonderful Julian Assange piece that he wrote in 2006 called Conspiracy is Governance, which is in the gatekeepers issue that, you know, you're in this Bitcoin magazine issue. And he talks about sort of identifying the conspiracy. And the way that you do it is you just put pins up all across the map of what you're kind of looking at. And then you take twine and you attach all the points and you kind of just, you don't necessarily know how they're connected, but you just look at this kind of map that you've created. And when you look at the Bitcoin space right now and you look at the kind of like Hegelian dialectics of what we're doing here, it's like there's this huge push towards KYC, stablecoin, uh, embraced uh, payment networks and, and, and uh, in exchanges. Um, and even from like the privacy people, um, like these, they're, they're, they're recommending KYC exchanges and, and stablecoins. And, you know, it's, it's just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, that was a bit of a, of a rant there, but no, I think it was, I think it was important. Um, so really quick, I just want to say, you know, for the audience, really, you already know this, Mark, I don't publicly endorse or shit on Bitcoin. Cause I don't think it's my responsibility to use my platform to tell people where to put their money. I think that's a really personal and individual decision. Sure. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I do see Bitcoiners as at least Bitcoiners like yourself attempting to use it to build some sort of parallel system mm -hmm. to what's being, you know, what we're being herded into. And obviously a parallel system like that is necessary. So there's a lot of people, well, not a lot, but I mean, you know, there are people, right, that um, shit on, you know, anyone involved in uh, any sort of digital anything is in, in inherently implicit and building the four IR. And, you know, I know people, you know, who are trying to create some sort of decentralized tech, whether it's like getting people on some sort of de-googled Android thing, if they could decide right. to continue using a smartphone or trying to get people off of Apple and Windows operating systems onto, onto Linux and all of that. Um, but it's, you know, it, I think in the near future, we're going to be faced with increasingly difficult choices about how much we enable these yeah. systems. So like for me personally, you know, if Bitcoin becomes 
completely a tool of central banks. I don't really want anything to do with it. I mean, I understand why you're saying that because of the technology and how you feel about it and all of that, that that's within it. But, you know, I don't really plan to, you know, use those on and off ramps controlled or that enable this same kind of behavior that Bitcoin's supposed to stop. So, you know, I would just probably uh, do nothing with Bitcoin. It would just sit there, you know, because yeah, I don't want to yeah. enable those on and off totally. ramps, right? So, no, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's it's important that when you know we th- you know there's a uh, um, the great great Bitcoiner I think is very very smart and talks about a lot of these warnings. Um, Beautyon, who is a uh, he's runs Azteco, and his kind of idea is you know he has this concept of ethical Bitcoin. Um, and again, ethical is obviously a word that gets perverted to get people to do totally. bullshit all the time. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, that said, it's like, there are alternatives. There are decentralized alternatives. Um, there are exchanges that don't require those things. There are peer to peer exchanges, go to your local meetup, go find a miner, give them cash, buy Bitcoin directly. Um, you know, there's a lot of alternative ways that, um, to circumnavigate the, 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 you know, kind of corruption of the ins and outs of Bitcoin. Um, and those are the things that we need to use. Um, we need to reject any of the systems that are using. If you're using a system that supports stable coins, um, you're supporting a system that is buying government debt. Um, so what are you doing? Um, and so I don't use any of those. Um, you know, I've sort of converted a lot of my thinking and actions, you know, away from that, you know, as I, as I got more hip to what was really going on and it's like, yeah, no, we have to stand up and not like promote these services that are perpetuating, you know, again, the greatest terrorist organization in the world. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, it, it's tough. I, 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 I so badly don't want to imagine a world where that happens that sometimes it's hard for me to think about what I would do if it did happen. Cause I'm so so desperately fighting to make sure that that doesn't happen. Um, But of course, yeah, there's an there's definitely a possibility in the future where I think that, uh, you know, Bitcoin has sort of failed its, its, its mission of, of kind of neutering state power. Um, It is possible um, at least for a a short to medium term um, that that could happen uh, in our lifetime. Um, I still really much definitely think so that no matter what, um, you know, Bitcoin is a multi hundred year experiment probably about a thousand years, um, something like that. It doesn't really scale planetarily, so I don't see any of that shit going on, But um, or interplanetarily, I should say. Um, but I think regardless, its state change of money is so important um, that it is a net positive for humanity, even if it's completely corrupted and used uh, in, 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 in a lot of ways until the, the state power can actually be perverted away. Um, I hope that's not naive of me, but I, I really do think economically it is exceptionally important regardless. Um, but yeah, I mean, shit, it, it's an open ledger um, and it's run by some, you know, not run, but, you know, some of the biggest influencers in the entire space are some of the spookiest people. Um, and uh, yeah, there's there's a whole bunch of ways like we're seeing politicians jumping out now and hitching themselves to it. And, um, you know, it's becoming one of the biggest brands in the world. Um, and, and, you know, a bunch of bad people are going to use it. Bitcoin has to be for enemies. Uh, otherwise it absolutely can't be for friends, you know? Um, and we have to fight for the death for that ability for anyone to be able to use it. Um, because if anyone is, becomes a gatekeeper of who or who can't make a transaction on Bitcoin, then the entire thing has failed. Um, so unfortunately we sort of have to kind of like 
like, yeah, central banks are going to be able to use this. And JP Morgan is going to be able to use this. And Jamie Dimon will probably store a bunch of his money in Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of likelihood that, you know, the Maxwell Epstein, you know, sort of blackmail group was like using Bitcoin. Um, there's a there's a great conspiracy that, you know, Maxwell was a very big power mod on on Reddit. Um, and was running our news and a bunch of other things under this user, you know, user Maxwell Hill. <clears throat> and the last thing she posted about, or this user posted about, which she stopped posting the day that she was arrested and hasn't posted since, uh, and it was the number one upvoted person on Reddit until that day, uh, posted about Bitcoin. That was like the last thing that they posted about. So, you know, there's a lot of connections with Bitcoin to a lot of shitty things. Um, and that's sort of, a, unfortunately, an endorsement in a really weird way of like how powerful this technology is. Um, we just need to make sure right. that we wake up and, and don't let it just, you know, get completely corrupted. Well, on that last point, right. So the, the justification for regulating uh, Bitcoin in the sense of taking away financial privacy is to stop money laundering and all of this right. stuff. But of course, these guys that you just talked about are very big into money laundering. So, anything, you know, they're probably the yeah. ones using it for that more than regular people that are just holding I, Yeah, it. I mean. Jamie Dimon or JP Morgan saying anything about the criminality of Bitcoin is ridiculous when like they got caught like uh, with like, you know, <laughs> millions of dollars of cocaine on their on their, um, you know, their uh, an own boat of theirs, um, a shipping container. You know, it's like, you know, they're 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 literally banking sex traffic, like known sex traffickers um, and yep. then obviously buying up consent and all the other ridiculous things they're doing. So it, it's it's completely ridiculous for literally literal criminals and criminal supporters and enablers um, to come out and shit on Bitcoin as a technology that enables criminality. It's just like, sure, of course it does. But cash does that way more so. And there's probably no one more important to the infrastructure and safety of the US dollar probably than Jamie Dimon, you know? I mean, like he, he really kind of runs the show in a lot of ways. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a total falsehood um, while also having a you know, an extreme element of of, of of truth in this weird kind of endorsement of the technology. But obviously, when compared to the dollar, it's just a joke. All right. So we've talked a lot about Bitcoin and you brought up stable coins a lot. So I want to talk about that a little bit, because in the course of our conversation thus far, uh, you've explained a lot about Bitcoin and, and blockchain and what those terms are, maybe for people that don't necessarily know a lot about it. But maybe people know a little bit less about stablecoins. So why don't you, um, if you're cool with it, touch on, yeah. you know, sort of what stablecoins are, uh, why and why you see them as problematic. And then I want to bring up some of the some weird stuff tied up with stablecoins. Uh, yeah. Your brain about it. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. I mean, it, the stablecoin uh, rabbit hole is really intense because it, it, it really connects like the worst of 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 all the things we hate about our current system, uh, with like, um, ridiculous technology that just exacerbates a bunch of issues that we have. Um, so yeah, basically long and short a stable coin, um, you know, first off the name is just ridiculous. Um, there's nothing stable about it at all, but the reason why they're called stable coins is because as opposed to, and again, this is sort of, you know, this is dialectics here as opposed to Bitcoin, which is very volatile and can lose 80% of its value in a year and yada, yada, which of course is all true. Uh, but over long time frames, I mean, it's the fastest growing asset ever. Um, so it was, they were kind of created um, as this, you know, directly, uh, you know, parallel to the Bitcoin system um, as a way to give dollar access um, a la kind of, you know, you might've heard of the Euro dollar system, which basically was a system of dollars 
that were, you know, created and exchanged entirely outside of the Federal Reserve system um, that were kind of uh, set up with this interest rate, this LIBOR, London Interbanking Overnight Rate. Um, there was a whole mm-hmm. bunch of banks in Europe, uh, I think like 12 or 11 banks, um, plus the one U.S. bank, which was J.P. Morgan, of course. Um, and they were the ones kind of being able to control this euro dollar market. And it was really out of the purview of the Federal Reserve System. Um, so one of the reasons why you raise interest rates, which we have raised interest rates so much, is, you know, you want to you're, you're you can think of it as the higher the interest rate, the more interest there is in being in that system, because we're, we're basically bribing you uh, with yield to keep your money and keep your value in our system and buy our debt. Um, so the U.S. government, you know, started jacking up interest rates um, as a way to kind of combat this offshore dollar market that was outside of the purview uh, of the Fed. Um, and so stable coins are basically the, um, you know, the technological evolution of the euro dollar market, um, which allow, but this time, you know, controlled by entities uh, potentially um, that are within the kind of dollar coalition or kind of like the U.S. cabal. Um and oh, so, most definitely. Yeah, I mean, of course. And uh, there's, you know, there's a reason why all these, you know, banks and and stablecoin providers are all, you know, kind of, uh, you know, stationed in the in this Bermuda Triangle, Bahamas Island area, which where we just continually see uh, so much of, you know, this shady shit constantly happening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> like, like the deep yeah. state is really like this ocean state thing and they live on all these islands and they avert, you know, kind of, uh, you know, the law of the land with this like maritime admiralty bullshit. And they all have, you know, their own laws island by island. I'm sure there's trafficking and just ridiculousness going on there. And, you know, of course, yeah, that's why we see SBF, you know, creating FTX in the Bahamas. The first CBDC in the world was launched in the Bahamas. The sand dollar, which was tied to the Bahamian reserve currency, which is actually just pegged to the U.S. dollar anyway. So the first U.S. dollar CBDC was actually in the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're seeing all this shit. But basically, again, long and short, it's it's a it's a tokenized representation of a dollar um, that is able to be exchanged one to one, theoretically. Uh, for paper money or uh, you know U.S. dollar credits in a bank account um, via the issuer. So the the two biggest ones are Tether, which again is that Bitfinex connected. Um, you know they were uh, connected with Brock Pierce and and Who's Block One. Very and, shady, in my opinion. We'll just say that. Yes. Very shady we'll fellow. We'll just say that. Yeah. Also connected with EOS, which was another huge affinity scam. That was the largest Bitcoin scam of all time. That was about 190 something Bitcoin, stole 190,000 Bitcoin stolen, um, you know, with all these false promises of this like alternative, you know, smart contract enabled, you know, same bullshit as Cardano of, Ethereum, you know, of all these things. Um, and, you know, of course, you know, they were all, you know, they, were banked and, and, and based out of, uh, you know, the Bahamas, they got a tiny slap on the wrist. I think it was like five, $25 million or something was like the fine, but they got, you know, billions and billions. Um, so yeah, absolutely absurd. It's this system and this technology that, you know, is, is being orange washed and sort of virtue signal that is being very systemically important to the adoption of Bitcoin. Um, by allowing, you know, third world countries, basically like Indonesia and Africa and, um, you know, a bunch of, and, and, and the, the South Asian seas, um, 
and it's kind of viewed as this way to onboard people um, to Bitcoin because it's like, oh, this big bad fiat, you know, like Venezuelan uh, inflation is so high, Argentinian inflation is so high, it would be, you know, such a beautiful thing for them to be able to use the dollar. I really wish these people had dollar access. Um, it would be such a better technological tool than what they're using. Um, so it's become this totally ridiculous um, way to dollarize the world. Um, and uh, it's seen as both an alternative to people that dislike Bitcoin because it's not government issued. You know, there's a lot of people that are like, well, only governments are supposed to be able to issue money and Bitcoin isn't a state yeah. money, but stable coins are. It's like, well, that's just the status quo. Um but yeah, so we're well, seeing it depends on massive... how people view money, I guess, at the end of the day, that distinction. Yeah, totally, totally. And uh, so we've seen basically a, a Cambrian explosion of quote unquote innovation uh, and stuff in the stablecoin space, um, probably most in infamously, in my opinion, with the Facebook's Libra, um, which was this idea of making a basket of currencies um, that then you could pay, you know, through uh, Facebook, Facebook pay. Um, and so it was just kind of like not a one-to-one -one stable coin where it was just a dollar and, you know, you could exchange it for a dollar, but it was, it was going to be a basket of currencies. Um, I'm sure it would have included the euro, probably the pound, um, and then maybe the yen. Um, uh, and, and, and basically when that came out, uh, you know, the, the, the Congress and, and most U.S. government uh, officials kind of came out and were like, oh, this is going to threaten the dollar. This is really bad and kind of feigned this like. Uh, you know, this, dis this disagreement with, with Facebook pushing this, this system and saying that it was going to undermine the dollar. But when in reality, uh, it was going to dollarize the world so quickly, um, it would have put billions of people onto the dollar system uh, overnight. Um, and China actually realized this, and China, uh, you know, had a, a complete knee-jerk reaction to the Libra uh, presentation, basically, and they launched their CBDC like imminently after uh, the Libra, uh, you know, announcement. And the Libra obviously ended up kind of, you know, changed names, became Diem, and ended up kind of getting shuttered. Um, that guy that was running Diem, uh, Marcus something, um, he's now runs Lightspark, which is a Lightning Network, uh, you know program we're seeing a lot of former stable coiners and dollar people kind of getting into the uh you know the lightning space all of a sudden as lightning is about to embrace stable coins believe it or not um so yeah basically weird again, yeah i know how about that <laughs> um and uh let's keep burning bridges baby um so yeah it's it's a technology that uh is supposed to sort of paint this uh idea of stability and this idea of uh you know, this is a safe place to be in direct opposition to Bitcoin, which is very speculative. But it's a bunch of bullshit. I mean, it's it's a centralized issuance. Um, you're you're relying on the audit of a bank uh, and of a of a service provider to not take advantage of the literal money printer that you've given them. Um, you know, Tether has the ability to print tokens, um, and they're very loosely audited and monitored. Um, in, in any sort of regulatory way being, you know, sort of pushed offshore entirely from U.S. regulations to now being in kind of this nebulous, stateless, um, I don't actually even know literally wh wh where they are um, at the moment. Um, but they're out of the purview of, of the U.S. dollar system legally anyway. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it was it's basically this affinity scam to create uh, consent for dollarization of the world and to create this kind of virtue signaling for uh, technologists and freedom fighters and all this to to start supporting the dollarization uh, of the globe while just really all they're doing is making the government richer, uh, making a select few bankers uh, and, and stable coin issuers richer um, and really hurting the world and, and really global globalizing the dollar um, with a super high mo monetary velocity. You know, these things can be exchanged incredibly quickly um, and they are bearer instruments technically um, in that if you just have them in your wallet, you know, you, you, you can go spend them at different exchanges and all this, but they rely on these shitty rails. They rely on Ethereum rails. They rely on Cardano rails or Tron rails, all of these rails of these just really poorly constructed or banker constructed um alternative blockchains yeah um and so money is going up to just the worst people um and it's being done under this uh this guise as uh you know being this you know humanitarian effort and it's like spreading yeah. the dollar across the world is not humanitarian my friends well it's even it's even more than the human problematic humanitarian aspect goes far beyond um just the stable coin level right like uh I, i'd like to get to uh talking about cardano and some of the yeah. digital id efforts for example um under the guise of you know decent liberating ethiopian school children it's uh, not exactly what's going on over there um but really quick before i get there i do want to mention a few things so for people that don't know right um tether disturbing I think uh, there's a lot of stuff that unsettles me about it. Um, and then there's, you know, Brock Pierce. Um, I mm -hmm. think Revolver News had an interesting compilation of information about him, including Epstein connections uh, and mm -hmm. weird ties to creepy pedo stuff. Definitely yep. uh, worth taking a look at that if you're not aware uh but he former has, also former disney actor was in was a childhood yes, a actor child in, actor. in uh, mighty, mighty ducks. ducks too yes yeah yeah to so the epstein stuff more <laughs> ooh, yeah so anyway uh definitely some weird stuff there but as far as i'm aware i think he stepped away officially from an association mm -hmm. with tether several years ago but nevertheless tether reserves are held at deltac a Bahamian yep. bank that's probably also well known for holding a lot of FTX accounts, including their shadiest accounts. And then the head of Dell Tech, uh, Jean Chalopin, very involved in Farmington State Bank, which was part of the FTX stuff that Ed Berger and I did a piece about uh, on Unlimited Hangout that I'd recommend you check out if you want more information on that, because they turned this tiny rural nothing bank basically in rural Washington state into Moonstone bank. And it teamed up with yep. the guy who uh, created the Bahamian original CBDC that you mentioned a bit ago and some weird stuff definitely <laughs> going on there. And yep. uh, including with the federal reserve, which somehow immediately approved Moonstone um, yep. and when it shouldn't have and all sorts of weird things going on there for sure. So, and, and of course, Dell tech, hopefully we'll have, um, I report out on that soon in Unlimited Hangout, or at least in the next couple of months, because it's a real hive going over its history before Jean Chalopin, very much uh, Rockefeller-centric, tied up with, you know, of course, David Rockefeller ran Chase Manhattan Bank, very big part of the deep state, quote unquote, mm -hmm. that's now been folded in, of course, to J.P. Morgan Chase. 
Um, yep. And uh, basically, Dell Tech was a big part of that and even has connections to stuff like the 1973 coup in Chile, brought Pinochet mm-hmm. to power and all sorts of weird stuff. Um, there, which, you know, the, David Rockefeller also had a hand in that type of stuff. But basically, this horrible neocolonialist paradigm has for a long time been a, enabled by this particular Bahamian bank tied to both FTX and Tether. That unsettles me. And then uh, talking about USDC, so Circle yep. is, a, I guess, the issue we're there, right? And there's been a lot going on with them as it relates to some of this weird stuff that's happened since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and they had to move where some of their reserves were kept around. And uh, after all of the dust more or less settled on on that phase of the current banking crisis, mm-hmm. um, Circle decided to park their reserves uh, that they needed to move around with BNY Mellon. Oh, boy. Bank. It comes yeah. up in uh, One Nation Under Blackmail uh, several mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can probably mm-hmm. guess why. So essentially, it seems to me like stable coins are basically... Um, being utilized uh, for very unsettling purposes by these same actors that I chronicle in my book as basically enabling everything from sex trafficking to money laundering, arms trafficking, the worst stuff you can imagine, the the wholesale looting of wealth in the developing world, but also in the developed world, including in the United States, you know, and enabling the same type of behavior. I find it very unsettling. So I just wanted to make that point about uh, stable coins. It's it's unreal. I mean, literally four days after the SBF, uh, they filed chapter 11 on 11-11, fancily enough, on November 11th. And four days after, BNY Mellon and a dozen other banking institutions came out to start the, it was the announcement of the digital dollar pilot program with the Federal Reserve Bank in New York, which was a 12-week Yay. program. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so that so was crazy. immediately after, um, <laughs> which was also the, the very next day, uh, Apple Pay announced that they were allowing Circle integration and letting you use USDC payments there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's the spookiest shit. I mean, BNY, BNY Mellon was literally founded by Alexander Hamilton, um, one of the oldest, most important banks in the world. Um or certainly in, in the, after the American experiment. And I think it has something like a fifth, it has like a, its hands in like a fifth of all assets like in the world. Um, it's just totally ridiculous. And yeah, they hold the paper for uh, for USDC, which, you know, Brian Armstrong, the CEO of, of uh, Coinbase came out and said that it's the de facto, um, you know, CBDC. And I think that's a huge, that's kind of a big part of, of my thesis is that the retail CBDC is kind of a red herring. Um, and it's really about, you know, I, I think the government doesn't, doesn't necessarily want, um, you know, to directly issue money to, um, you know, to citizens because they actually reserve more uh, restriction rights by, you know, sort of keeping it in the private, um, you know, sector. And, you know, we've seen that with Facebook, we've seen that with some of these other, with, you know, these too big to fail kind of American institutions, um, you know, they, they're not directly, um, you know, affiliated with the U S government, but they, you know, their staff is filled with, with government intelligence, their, uh, budget is filled with, um, you know, uh, you know, contracts from the U S government. Um, and I think we're going to continue to see that kind of play out that the CBDC, I think the fed now, which again, launches in a month, it's like, it launches in July is sort of this interbanking network. And that's actually, I think, in many ways, a lot more dangerous than a CBDC retail-facing one, anyway. And well, that it, just... it, it enables financial surveillance, which is the it, goal of CBDCs, right? Well, the thing is, is kind of, I mean, 
but also like can we really be even more of a surveillance hell than we are in now and i, I don't mean that as a challenge anyone listening like please don't <laughs> please don't make this worse but like we are in kind of a surveillance hell i mean anything you do on your phone on a smartphone on apple pay all the shit it's completely surveilled totally um, totally yeah and and uh but Fed now kind of it, it it it's this interbanking operation thing, and it basically like nationalizes the the U.S. banking system even more, and brings it onshores all of this euro dollar, all of this you know sort of shenanigans going on. It it, it it's basically paying everybody this this much higher rate, um, you know, of overnight overnight banking, and and it, it's crushing dollar demand outside of the United States and bringing it back in, which is you know that's what you know the bankers want. Um, well, yeah, I think that's part of the impulse behind this whole talk about banking the unbanked at the end of the day, too. Right. You know, yeah. we want all of the money in our system, particularly our new system we're building. So we have to essentially end the quote unquote informal economy and yeah. bring it in, a, in, you know, into our system so that we can control and, and surveil it more closely. And I think that's why you're also seeing like in the U.S. with the IRS being like every transaction over six hundred dollars. I mean, right. it, it'll keep going down. Uh, because they want everything in the system at right. the end so, of the day. So so the U.S. will basically create these synthetic kind of treasury reserve asset back back things that they can use FedNow to kind of, um, you know, do these overnight, you know, security reverse repo swaps. Um, and then the actual retail, you know, forward facing, like the things that we'll all use, hopefully not you and I, but, you know, the majority of, of Americans and, 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 and folks will use this uh, you know, they'll use stable coins, you know, they'll use USDC, they'll use Tether, um, they'll use JP Morgan dollar coin, they'll use Bank of America coin, like these things are all coming um, in massive ways, we need to issue um, a lot of money to be able to service our debt. But the US government doesn't issue dollars directly, they, they issue these, these treasury reserves. So they can sell these treasuries to stable coin providers like Tether, and Tether has become one of the largest net buyers of, of treasuries, uh, these short-term bonds from the U.S. government, um, and they're making so much money, like hands over fist. Um, and I don't think that's going to stop. I think that's going to increase like crazy. I think we're going to see way more stable coins, way more banker coins, because we've already digitalized the dollar. I mean, it, like your, your, your Bank of America, you know, uh, balance is a digital dollar, you know? I mean, so, so, so little of it is actually physical or backed um, in any way. And I think we'll just see that continuing to happen. And these sort of retail facing stable coins will in fact be, um, you know, the, 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 the CBDC, you know, and, and now we're going to see, you know, kind of maybe controlled dissonance sort of coming out and saying, let's ban the U.S. government from directly issuing CBDCs. Hooray, hooray, we won. But meanwhile, they're promoting you know, stablecoin usage in the private sector as if it's this win. And it's like, no, 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 the private banking sector of the U.S. government is the shareholders of the Fed. And they are the people that are, uh, you know, basically enabling uh, the imperialism and, and colonialism of, of the United States government. Um, these are the people. We don't want to support these people. Um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. We do not want to support them. So I want to run something by you that's a little bit interesting. Well, odd seemingly, but I think... Um, mm -hmm might illuminate some of the funny business going on with stable coins. Um, yeah. So the UN, for example, so I talked earlier uh, briefly about the World Food Program's building blocks program, which was basically mm -hmm. like um, Syrian refugees. Okay, you want food from the UN and the World Food Program? Hand over your biometrics, scan your irises. You'll have to right. pay with iris scans to get access Ooh. 
to food. And obviously they can't say no, because even though it's voluntary, okay, I'll voluntarily starve or voluntarily hold over my biometrics to be able to feed myself in a war zone, right? It's <laughs> um, insane. Not exactly voluntary. So the UN's doing stuff like that. They're backing something I wrote about a few years ago, uh, which is under the ID2020 Alliance, the push for mm -hmm. digital ID that's basically created by Gates and the Rockefeller philanthropies. Uh, to force digital ID on the entire world under the guise of fulfilling sustainable development goal target uh, 16, target nine, which is about legal identity for all, yada, yada. So mm. basically, Fun. for example, stateless people in uh, the border with Thailand and Myanmar, the Karen people, uh, a, an agency that was involved in the UN sex for food scandal was allowed access to children. And it was the same theme of hand over your biometrics um, and we'll issue you, you know, wallets with all this information about you, tracking you from birth to death, including um, not just like, um, you know, your identity credentials, quote unquote, but all your medical history and your education history and, and all of that um, and tied up with your biometrics. And if you want aid, right, or access to the only hospital these people have access to, which is run by, you know, partners of this initiative you have to surrender that, you know, it's, it's very messed up. So the UN is pushing yeah. a lot of this stuff, but in August of last year, one part of the UN at least was calling for halting the use of stable coins and cryptocurrency in general, including Bitcoin in developing countries. But then a few months later uh, in December, the UN started dispersing aid to Ukrainian refugees in the form of USDC. Yep. <laughs> so, um, and then of course, um, I'm sure you and maybe some people in the audience are aware of the weird stuff going on with FTX and crypto donations to Ukraine. So oh, what yeah. do you make of these, uh, policy contradictions from the UN? I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just another sort of notch on the belt of just the, <laughs> you know, ridiculousness of, of sort of these huge infrastructural uh, infrastructure, you know, entities in, in our world governance. Um, yeah, it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I think to be on one hand, you know, shitting on the capabilities of, of Bitcoin, um, you know, out of one side of the mouth and then the other side of the mouth being like, oh no, it's essential for, you know, buying drones for the Ukraine. And buy I mean, like I, I poked around on a lot of those websites and was kind of looking and I looked at a a lot of wallets and was doing some research um, with my friend Lola Leeds about, you know, a lot of this stuff. And I mean, it's, it's absurd. Um, the amount of money that was going through the lack of communication, um, the different, the discrepancies between the numbers announced and what was actually, you know, a, a, you know, apparent on the blockchain. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a great example of, of like, you know, like the, the, just, the hip, hip, hypocrisy of the purple party. Um, I think for Biden, um, you know, to be and, and, and Warren and purple kind of party these, being the uniparty, like red and blue together. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's I mean, okay. yeah. yeah, the, the, I, like uh, I mean, when you look into the, and I'll get back to some of the Ukraine stuff, but you look at the, the purple party of the financial system, um, you know, it's, the, the Federal Reserve chair is sort of the, you know, the person is, 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 is the one. And I'm sure they're, you know, blackmailed and, and, and whatever compromised like anyone else. But every single Fed chair from 1979 through now, with the exception of one Yellen, who's obviously now the Treasury secretary, was nominated by one political party and renominated by the other. 
So Paul Volcker yeah, was the twelfth yeah. chairman from ben seventy-nine Bernanke. to eighty-seven. Yeah. So he was Carter nominated and then renominated by Reagan. Greenspan yeah. from eighty-seven to two thousand six. He did it four times. He was Reagan, then Bush, <laughs> yeah. then Clinton, yeah. then Bush Jr., and then mm-hmm. Bernanke, which was Bush, and then Obama, and then Powell was Trump, and then Biden. And it's like okay, we have this huge ideological difference apparently between. Trump and Biden and voting for Biden is saving democracy and Trump is destroying the world. And yet they renominate the exact same person who's, you know, kind of arguably most important in, in, in controlling the interest rates of the dollar system. It's It's just the bankers run both parties. So it's really not that surprising once, once you know that, you know? Yeah. And then, and you look into the, you know, the, the, the connections of FTX with all these huge bankers, as, as you just expressed, um, their own, you know, right before they collapsed, they talked about SBF was on a podcast like a couple days before they collapsed about talking about wanting to start a stable coin. Um, and so you're seeing, you know, a lot of these, yeah, this, there's this use case of, okay, well, we can distribute money to the Ukraine. Um, and Bitcoin Magazine actually has a Ukraine like department. Uh, we have a print magazine in the Ukraine, which is very interesting. I don't know a ton about it. Um, but uh, they uh, have been using, uh, yeah, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, uh, and these stable coins as a way to, uh, you know, I guess on paper uh, support and and protect citizens and and sort of in this this war effort, and then maybe potentially uh, below below paper, uh, you know, maybe money laundering or, or, or using this technology in a way to, um, yeah, I mean, it's just absurd how much money has gone into the Ukraine um with this technology um and uh yeah it's completely absurd i i can't even articulate a, a thought of of how hypocritical it is um to be passing legislation um attempting to you know regulate this as like a dangerous technology and then on the other side being you know virtue signaling you know with blue and and yellow flags about how good you know the stable coins are for the ukraine it's it's totally absurd and um yeah, yeah, I don't even but know what if, to say. if you consider the fact that, like, it's we already know at least now, right? That provably, I think it was Seymour Hirsch saying that a lot of money that was destined for Ukraine was used by the Ukrainian government, Zelensky mm-hmm. types, uh, mm-hmm. for you know, ill gotten gains, and that a lot of the money sent over there, there's no paper trail, so no one really knows. So, like, Ukraine is the conflict that comes after the U.S. is pulled out of Afghanistan and. Right. You mentioned Julian Assange earlier. He talked a lot about how the the usefulness of Afghanistan to these particular powers, right? Oh, yeah. As it relates to things like money laundering. You know, it wasn't right. that just that the money was squandered in Afghanistan. It was intentionally lost because there's yeah. this giant black budget thing that goes on. And, you know, this is all wrapped up in terms of U.S. monetary policy and, and as well, because you basically have the, the standard FASAB 56 where uh, the government has one set of books mm-hmm. and they publish another set of books publicly that's a lie and they don't have to tell you it's a lie. So no right. one actually knows where any money is going. Right. So it, this is it, this is a yeah. way of doing that with Ukraine. It's this giant money sink. And they're using, yeah. including the U.N., not just the U.S. government or not just FTX, which was tied up with like the Democratic Party, for example. But the U.N. itself yeah. is also using USDC. Right. Yeah. It gets lost. Uh oh. Yeah. But they claim it's not going to get lost or be misused. But for some, you know, it's just and, weird. And, and, and this is where Bitcoin, I think, is a state change because, um, you know, you can't you can't really have two books. You know, you can have a shitty exchange running a 
running a bucket shop that's, you know, doing ridiculous reserve uh, violations and commingling user funds a la FTX, of course. Um, but, you know, you you can't you don't have as much opportunity to obfuscate, you know, shitty accounting, um, which is like, yeah, I mean, how much of our current state of the world is downstream from, you know, the U.S. going off the gold standard, Vietnam War is kind of that same sort of technique of like, you know, this Afghanistan Assange theory of, you know, like this war was meant to just kind of be uh, basically a money pit um, and a laundering opportunity. And then, you know, our obviously military colonialism within the Middle East was kind of directly connected to oil. Um and and then we see these like color revolutions happening. Like we saw like the CIA and and the the coup involved in Ukraine is I mean that's very that's clear. That's something that happened seven eight years ago, something like that. Twenty fourteen. Um, yeah, and then we also mm-hmm. saw um, you know like what happened with the Iranian uh, British Petroleum Company and 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 that sort of you know, we were basically lying to, you know, BP used to be IBP and, and, and there was a, mm-hmm. there was a coup there against the the Shah, I believe. And, and sort of this idea of, uh, you know, they were charging them, basically telling them that the, the oil entity was losing money and, and Iran was paying taxes because they were losing money. The, the Are British you referring were losing... to the overthrow of Mossadegh yeah. that installed the Shah? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And then he came back um, uh, after he nationalized the oil fields. Um, so we're seeing like color revolutions and sort of co-option of, of, you know, lesser democracies in the, in the USI. And we even saw that in Central America. Now we're seeing, you know, like El Salvador and, and, and some of these, this Central and South American countries that are part of these like $66 dollarized countries in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what, where was the U S involvement in, in that? Um, and I think so when we look at Ukraine, you kind of have to look at the total picture, learn from history and be like, OK, well, this is sure. sort of the playbook that the U.S. does, unfortunately. Um, and obviously, you know, I'm not like supportive of a national country, you know, crossing a border with military action, of course. But it's like you look at, you know, the the sort of big picture and it's like it just stinks to high hell for sure. Um, yeah, but I think the involvement of so much like weird crypto stuff in Ukraine yeah. sort of signals to me that like in the past, you know, a lot of invasions and military action were based around petrodollar politics. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and now it seems like it's about, we're entering a different phase where it's a little different, you know, B- not Bitcoin dollar about, politics, maybe, you know, maybe. I mean, it could be a direct sort of parallel to kind of Afghanistan, Iraq involvement is well, it, now. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 no. I, and I think it's it's strange that we just pulled out, uh, you know, this Bitcoin dollar thesis kind of came in 2020, in March of 2020, when we saw everything implode, we saw oil go negative um, in markets. It's like, I, you know, I lived my entire life. It's like the U.S. goes and invades countries to go steal oil. And now we're, you know, it's, it's trading negatives in the future market. Um, and right before that happened, you know, obviously this was the COVID lockdowns which so much of it was, uh, you know, government um, and, 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 you know, big institutional, um, you know, control over government kind of pushing for this big lockdown. So we see a, a, a global lockdown uh, like two months before um, Bitcoin's issuance in May of 2020, we had a, 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 another happening. And it was the first time that the relative issuance of Bitcoin was actually below 2% relative issuance. So 
for the first time ever, Bitcoin was actually issuing less than the rate of inflation of the dollar and less than the rate of gold coming out of the ground, which an extraction rate is about 2% a year. So we have this like mathematical moment happening in Bitcoin. Two months before this thing is, is about to occur, uh, we see a collapse, total collapse of all markets. Dollar goes down, Dixie goes down, stocks go down, uh, um, gold goes down, oil goes down. You don't, nothing's supposed to all move down at once at the same time. You know, like that's, that's a sign of manipulation. Like where's the money actually going to, it can't be going into nothing. Um, and then, you know, we see Bitcoin crash to $3,000 and then over the next 12 months at 20 X and it was over $60,000, um, a year later. Um, and so what also happened during that moment, you know, we just disappeared and left Afghanistan and left a bunch of shit there. And, and then, you know, the Ukraine stuff starts right after, um, you know, the, the COVID enforced lockdowns, which now we're learning, you know, we're kind of this catastrophic failure of public health. Um, well, and, and I think it, these same people that we're talking about got a lot of wins out of the lockdowns. It was catastrophic yeah. for regular people. Yeah, uh, but, but you look at yeah. someone like Jeff Bezos and how much market right. share Amazon gained, for example, how many billionaires oh, yeah. came out of the COVID <laughs> lockdowns yeah. um, and how yeah. it pushed forward a lot of these uh, pre-COVID agendas to make everything, yes. push everything to the digital sphere, uh, make telehealth ubiquitous, mm -hmm. make more people shop online, shut down in-person shopping and all this stuff that I've, you know, was coming from people like Eric Schmidt uh, of Google mm -hmm. and uh, this national security commission he was leading, uh, you know, what they were talking about before COVID and stuff to right. beat China, they said. Right. right. But obviously, right. you know, more about their ambitions, really. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of crazy moving parts to all of that. I mean, I definitely think it's it's important to think about how things have changed because I feel like a lot of independent media and it's something that really bothers me is still very much trapped in looking at the world through the lens of the petrodollar. Um, yeah. and that game has obviously moved on because we even have the U S and the Biden administration, for example, openly pushing for this post oil economy, the net zero stuff, which is being developed really by the bankers that have captured control of the UN. You could argue they really ran it the whole time because of Rockefeller influence with the founding yeah. of the UN and all of that. And I tend to lean toward that theory really, but even if you don't think the UN operated responsibly or whatever before, it's very clear now that they've been captured by bankers and that these are the ones creating quote unquote sustainable development. Right. Right. Um, and, yeah. And Mark you look at Arnie and Mike Bloomberg yeah. le leading that. <laughs> yeah. It's just insane. So, you know, um, I just don't. I think it, yeah. See I think especially. People, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Just with the the energy thing that you're talking about there, I think it's so it's so crucial to the Bitcoin dollar kind of idea is that you know now we're coming out. You know, we saw the Biden administration attempt to do this 30 percent tax on Bitcoin mining. Um, I mean, the 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 state control over energy production um, has a huge huge effect on Bitcoin's success because it's energy. Uh, usage is directly related to its decentralization and its ability to sort of, uh, you know, process uh, sensorless transactions. And so, you know, we're seeing, uh, you know, a state control lockdown on energy sources, on battery production. We're seeing like a Tesla nationalization, basically, of of, of uh, minerals and, and and battery technology. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's a software company as well, of course, but it's driving shit. No one's going to catch up to them there. But the energy stuff is is so important. Um, and now we're seeing, you know, yeah, this kind of 
we're, we're greenwashing, um, you know, state control over over money now via this like green yeah. uh, virtue thing. Sorry. So, so there's this. There. No, I think that's a great addition. Um, so I think part of what we're seeing, too, in terms of this move away from the petrodollar. And again, I would really wish people in independent media stop acting like it's still 2019. <laughs> um, because we're yeah, definitely world in a different paradigm uh, yep. by now. Yeah. Well, I think people got really comfortable with that set of analysis and they don't really like to, I don't know. I mean, it requires a lot of revisioning of your worldview. And I had to sort of go through that too um, because I wrote a lot about petrodollar politics back when I worked mm -hmm. at Mint Press. And obviously mm -hmm. things, you know, like we're talking about have changed quite a yeah. bit. So yeah. um I think, though, you know, this idea of technocracy is important to look at because their energy is the currency and people are allotted a certain amount of energy that they can use. Um, and so there's this idea of introducing, I guess, scarcity, at least for the masses in terms of how much your energy quota and you're only allowed to engage in certain amounts of economic activity uh, based on how much energy that consumes. Right. Yeah. And this is basically what the net zero paradigm is moving towards. But the question is, how do we get from where we are now to there? I don't necessarily think it's going to be like from one to the other straight off. There's going to be some sort of gradualism. And you see so much, too, with the whole like Bitcoin discussion and, and energy usage stuff and mm -hmm. energy usage mm -hmm. as it relates to digital currencies. I think somewhere in there you're going to have this uh, gradualism style approach that takes us from where we are now to that technocracy paradigm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, yeah, I think you, uh, are kind of onto something here <laughs> about yeah. um, what the plan is, but I don't necessarily have all the, um, you know, steps of that mapped out and know for sure, but it seems to me like that's probably, you know, somewhere in the, in the right ballpark for sure. I mean, I'm just a dude with an internet connection, you know, it's like, <laughs> I, I'm I, that I, too. Yeah. Well, you know, you like, know. yeah, you know, you know, like I, I, I have no idea. Um, it's just, uh, you know, I've learned a lot and just watching, you know, these people kind of operate and like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I kind of came at, I've kind of come at a lot of this stuff from a really strange way where like, I, you know, was kind of a 4chan poster in like 2016 and kind of like got into sort of the red pill kind of conspiracy stuff through that field. Um, and I thought of it was ridiculous and I saw a lot of the co-option like happen. Like I saw like the Q people happen. I saw this stuff sure. occur. That was, you know, in my opinion, kind of this direct, you know, kind of controlled opposition to like actual like leaks and truth stuff that was coming out of WikiLeaks, you know, Podesta leaks and, and all these things, Vault 7 and, you know, all, all this shit. Um, and then I got really into Bitcoin from just being in the Bay Area, just like people, you know, I worked all these company parties. I was a bartender, um, you know, up until 2020 and just like was getting to interact with all these people and these companies, seeing how they act at parties, seeing these things and just kind of being in the Bay area for like this decade, the last decade and witnessing everything there. And it's like, I don't know how you can really just like stand aside and just watch that happen without, you know, picking up something or learning. And it's like, again, I don't know who's really controlling this cabal or this dollar coalition or whatever. I mean, it's, I, I think it's impossible to know exactly, but we can mm -hmm. see the actors. We can see the like, at least okay, the frontmen for it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah for mm -hmm. sure. And and we can kind of see like, hey, there's a absolute way where they could use Bitcoin to prolong the dollar and globalize the dollar and extend the kind of, you know, we should have probably given up economic hegemon 
you know, to China, to India, to, you know, kind of what the BRICS movement is kind of now, uh, you know, probably 10 years ago um, or 2008 or whatever. You know, we probably shouldn't have recovered from that. Um, but we didn't bail out, you know, the citizens. We bailed out the banks. And, you know, you just look at all this shit. It's like Kamala Harris was the DA in California who should have charged Steve Mnuchin with all of this profiteering off of the collapse and she decides not to, then he becomes secretary treasury, prints more money than anyone. And now she's the VP. And it's just like, I don't know how you can kind of just look at all those things and just not see that this bankers ridiculous... run everything. Yeah. Yeah. Of <laughs> yeah. course. And, and counter yeah. dissonance. It's like, like the Trump shit. It's just, it infuriates me. Cause it's like, this, no one was more important to like operation warp speed and lockdowns and all the shit that, that we've had than Trump. And yet he's viewed as this like, anti-state demigod and well, his, like, his oh. administration imprisoned julian assange yeah it's it's like, it's just clown world a lot of yeah. it yeah i, like, I what totally are we talking agree about with you there well again um, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance and this whole like political savior rhetoric around trump at least with his base right. and uh i've talked right. a lot about in my work how there's this cultural priming for people to look for that political savior so trump's right. base thinks think they've found it right and right. then other people that don't like trump are looking for their own version of the political right. savior uh but they're all controlled yeah. by the bankers totally and they're um, and they're controlled by their own yeah well sorry. their own mm -hmm. emotions they're controlled by their emotions it's like i think the q people are just as dumb as like the the trump derangement syndrome people like i think they're both dumb it's like they're 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 being manipulated by and and their consent is being manufactured by you know these ridiculous you know, like Operation Mockingbird well, talking belief pieces, stuff. You know? It's and no one wants evidence. No one cares about evidence or facts anymore. It's right. all about belief <laughs> and your belief in something, um, you know, your trust in something. I mean, th there's all these efforts to rebuild trust, right? Since COVID, right. that's been the big theme of the WEF. It's been a big right. theme of the UN and trust secures compliance. That's why they're right. doing it, right? Yeah. So yep. they're trying to create all these figures that we trust so that we will comply with what they say. Yep. So, you know, maybe it's hard for the WEF these days to build, you know, trust with Trump's base, right? right? But, you know, you roll out people that are in that sphere, whether it's Trump or Elon Musk or Peter right. Thiel or Ron DeSantis or whatever. I know. What and you hell? heard them that way. Yeah. Thiel's so. interesting, too, where, like, he kind of caused the bank run on Silicon Valley Bank. Like, that was kind of his baby. Uh, he's a huge yeah. Bitcoiner has come out and well, said he a bunch claims of to things. be a Bitcoin maximalist, but then he goes on stage with Mike Pompeo and says, Bitcoin right. is a Chinese financial weapon to destroy the dollar. Right. So again, it's like Elon Musk, you know, he does, he's like projects yeah. this, I'm a super libertarian. And then his actions, he uh, created the most, uh, liberty destroying CIA front company probably to ever exist. Palantir, um, yep. created Facebook, which is, you know, yep. a DARPA cutout basically yep. and all this other stuff and PayPal um, and Star. Link and Tesla. met with Jeffrey Epstein. We know now co-invested in, with him and Carbine, which is taking over the emergency services of 911 to build a pre-crime control grid. Um, that's not uh, about liberty, Peter. No, nope. um, I would consider nope. you to. I would urge you to reconsider at least. You know, well, at but, least. But he, not, but he did write the intro. Purpose, he exactly. He did write the forward to the sovereign individual tenth uh, anniversary edition. So he's super based and great, right? Oh, yeah, right. I well, mean, maybe he thinks he's a sovereign individual because he's <laughs> unaccountable and untouchable. But um, the right. people that Palantir's, uh, you know, whose lives they've ruined or will ruin in the future, right? Um, I don't think he sees them as sovereign individuals, you know. I mean, um, the guy that the guy that runs the company that sells data 
to the U.S. government. It's like to all what? all every U.S. <laughs> intelligence agency. Yeah. Every U.S. and there's like 18 of them now. So yeah, it's absurd. Yeah, and Stick I'm sure there's the deep state. Yeah, Peter. and I'm sure I'm sure there's <laughs> there's like inter intelligence fighting like like that's kind of there the, is like, factionalism most definitely that's why epstein was taken down in my opinion right mm-hmm. right 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 interesting it wasn't that. because the establishment was mad about sex trafficking no obviously no no no, yeah. no, no he no, pissed no. someone off um, interesting well i definitely think yeah. there was a factional thing going on and actually i think a lot of it has to do with his affiliation with muhammad bin salman Uh, who sort of had came to power in this apparent coup in Saudi Arabia, deposed Mm -hmm. John Brennan, former CIA director, John Brennan's um, golden boy in Saudi Arabia, who was the previous crown prince. And then you have, you know, uh, before his arrest in 2019, he was really tied up also allegedly with Tesla and Elon Musk. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Elon Musk is, you know, hangs out with Kushner and all this stuff. Kushner was hanging out with MBS. There's this weird nexus there that's sort of in Trump land, right? Um, And then you have John Brennan leading the Russiagate stuff to take down that faction. I think it's pretty clear, in my opinion at least, that there's definitely something there that's more likely a better explainer of why Epstein was arrested and quote-unquote suicided. Uh, Because he was very useful for a very long time. And a key part of his usefulness was his connection to what he was doing with J.P. Morgan, in my opinion, and the collapse of Bear Stearns in 2008 and a bunch of really shady stuff that he was involved in that uh, a lot of people don't really like to talk about when it comes to Epstein. Uh, Talked about this before, right? But um, Epstein, in that same stuff he was building around the time he was arrested he was very involved with this guy named ben gertzel who uh is a scientist uh tra- open transhumanist and he uh, runs something called singularity net and he is a one of the top guys at hansen robotics that produces sophia the robot right mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. sophia the robot was rolled out and given citizenship by mbs while he was being uh, mbs was being advised by epstein so you can sort of see how that might have some so, weird connection there. I, but Ben Gertzel yeah. has a big connection to this Cardano stuff involving right. Charles Hoskinson that I want to get into in the yeah, yeah. as we wrap up the podcast. Sorry, you go ahead. Well, just I think I mean I think this is great into the Cardano stuff, but just the the idea of citizenship, I think that is a uh, an angle to all this that is not talked about enough, um, where you know the elite sort of circumnavigation of KYC and of a lot of this. You know, these rules are in place, um, you know, for us, but there's obviously ways to, you know, for elites basically to circumnavigate this stuff. And this was something that Jeffrey Lubin, when he was, uh, you know, he's a co-founder of Ethereum. And when he was explaining, you know, the basically how you could buy Ethereum before it was issued. I mean, he's literally on camera talking about, um, you know, here's how you avoid, uh, you know, anti-money laundering and know your customer regulations so you can buy as much as possible. We know JP Morgan has a huge share in Ethereum. Um, but this idea of citizenship, I think the connections of it um, and how it relates to cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, um, like I think you look at like the Terramar project, you look at some of these Which like citizens of the seas. that don't know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, backed by the yep. UN and the Clinton Foundation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was sort of a little bit under this guise of kind of being this like ocean cleanup thing. But like a huge part of it was about ocean citizenship, citizenship. and sort of creating this like alternative offshore citizenship for offshore bankers. 
Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And 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 you know she's a submarine pilot. What what is the science shit that they're doing in the you know what are Yikes. they looking for in the Bahamas? Like who knows? I don't know. I don't want to get into too much of that stuff. But I think the why did Epstein order a cement mixer to his island before he was arrested? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know what they're looking for building. Do they have a submarine dock underneath there? Who knows? But the citizenship stuff is super important because we're now seeing like, you know, there's this like Indonesian island called Palau that has all these Palau that has all these connections with Clinton. Um, Biden signed off on their, you know, uh, their their basically uh, their support budget from the U.S. And it has this very loose um, citizenship, um, you know, passport connection with the U.S., um, where basically people could like swim up to this island, get a new passport, and then be able to go right into the United States, no problem. Um, and now we're seeing like basically places offering this as like a service um, in the crypto extended crypto space, where like you can go get a citizenship from this little winky dinky. I like, heard sea about land. this at the conference, and it blew my mind. Yeah. I was like, someone was telling me about it, like, oh yeah, these people I just were were talking to were doing that, and I was like, that's what intelligence agencies do, dude. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that freaks me out. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. And and I I mean, yeah. this is where a lot of my um, I don't know, just just poking around and looking at all this stuff. And it's like, uh, you know, there's clearly something going on with like inter uh, island sort of uh, citizenship. Um, and I think it's a way that these people are kind of circumnavigating reporting of their finances. And then also, you know, how it relates to trafficking and and all that, um, whether it's drugs or what humans. else are they circumventing? Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, and you start to piece together all that stuff. And it's like Disney cruises stopping off at little St. James Island for snorkeling. And it just gets so fucking dark so fast. Um, but but now we're seeing like NFT citizenship. Uh, yeah. Being presented as a way to, you know, that then Binance comes out and says you can use this citizenship as KYC. Uh, as your KYC component. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Well, and they're basically yeah. offering it as like a service to like, you know, how to, you know, basically uh, circumnavigate. The people with means. Exactly. Yeah. Because if mm -hmm. it's a financial fee, then none of these laws matter. You know, it's like to the rich, they're nothing. It's like, it's just a, it's just part right. of their budget, you know, like JP Morgan spoofing the metals market. They paid the largest fine in the history of banking nothing to them exactly and it was like yeah. a fifth of the operating budget profit of just that one operation it's like or or hsbc money laundering for drug cartels and all that stuff right. and they get caught and you know the fines nothing right. of what they made yeah totally so wild yeah i think the citizenship shit is really crazy and i think the way that ids are going to work in a blockchain hyper surveilled model is 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 really interesting and i think that there well, are I think you're already seeing it with what you just brought up it's right. going to be uh, for yeah. the little people aren't going to have these loopholes like you just discussed, no. but the rich right. will. Yeah, and so course. it's this panopticon and it looks like we're all included because it's quote unquote inclusive. Right. right. But rich people can are going to have all these workarounds and loopholes and they're setting them up right now. Yeah. And we're seeing, I think, with the Cardano stuff to kind of loop back to that, like there's this whole affinity scam within that that's using um, like institutions of academia um as a way to sort of build um you know yeah affinity right um and i think we've kind of seen like academia and like certainly like technology academia as like being a very corrupted like i think there's a reason why epstein is so connected to a lot of scientists in the academic world and i don't think it's all just eugenics 
uh, or transhumanism oh, no, I don't, or whatever. I don't either, but I think a lot of it was. But oh, of yeah. course, of course, a lot of it was AI related. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think a lot of it is sort of like you know, kind of manufacturing consent uh, for you know whatever we just went through. I mean, I think academia was a huge part of. I got kicked out of college. Um, I went back to school for electrical engineering. Uh, and I got kicked out of college for not getting vaxxed. And um, I think academia was a huge part of, uh, it still is. I mean, they're still requiring. Well, it's always um, been that. Look at MIT. Yeah. We're Noam Chomsky, well, teachers, exactly. for example, exactly. which Epstein heavily funded. Yeah, it's been a, it created MITRE, one of the shadiest military yeah. and intelligence contractors to other exist. The MIT and MITRE stands for MIT. And it's yeah. been a huge part of the military industrial complex since the military industrial complex was created. Uh, yeah. Chomsky, for example, at MIT, when he first started off, got a ton of military funding, right? So, yeah. I mean, most people at MIT probably get some sort of military funding at some point, even if you're a linguist, right? I mean, we just saw, uh, uh, I mean, he's way more than a linguist. I mean, he basically, I mean, I, I know, know, I know, I know. He basically saying, invented at that point like, in the yeah, 50s and 60s. Totally. Yeah. But huge part of inventing, you know, the infrastructure for computers. I mean, he's you could say he's kind of the father of computers and uh, computer systems in this very strange way. You know, people um, don't talk and, about that a lot, but Epstein knew that. Never. That's why he wanted to meet with right. Chomsky. Yeah. Totally. And then we see this guy that was just, I think he was just deposed last night, uh, James Staley, um, who was the CEO Morgan of Barclays mm-hmm. and J.P. Morgan. Yeah. And uh, his uh, grandfather was James Ryan Killian, who was the president of MIT from 48 to 59. Mm-hmm. So, and mm-hmm. his dad ran a com- chemicals company and uh, his grandfather was Staley of W.T. Grant when they went under. So there's just like, it's just everywhere you look, it's just like. Intergenerational crime families. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the people that put Jamie Dimon in power, essentially, aside from the Wexner crowd, were the Crown yeah. family, which is like the quintessential intergenerational crime family, except for maybe the Pritzkers, which are also a big part of the Epstein story, mm-hmm. uh, for sure. I mean, Thomas Pritzker's in the Black Book is numero uno. Why did Jeffrey yeah. Epstein call him that? Um, yeah, yeah what does that even mean? <laughs> what does that even mean, right? Why is he number one? I mean, even Wexner didn't get that in the Black Book, you know no. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Weird stuff going on. So not not enough people look at these families, but the one of the keys to key reasons the Pritzkers, for example, have been so mm-hmm. successful in what they've done. Uh, they were very early on involved in Castle Bank, which was like mm-hmm. one of the most notorious, at least at the time, offshore financial banks built by former CIA guy Paul Hellowell, mm-hmm. uh, who was a Republican insider, and the Pritzkers. We're all tied up with the Democrats, and it was the, their lawyer Burton Cantor that helped set up Castle Bank with Hellowell, right? And Same. you know all this Republican Democrat dirty money mixing off there in the Caribbean. I mean, based on what we've talked about today, it doesn't really sound that different than then, does it? And you no, know. D- definitely not. And I think that's that's such an important part of I think uh, you know, and maybe it's a good you know kind of general you know kind of note to leave on, but sort of this like the cycles of, of kind of the psyops and insanity are, are compressing like, so like they have to. <laughs> yeah. And, and now it, we, we can see these like, you know, basically like harmonies or fractals or, you know, whatever, like just complete reinventions of, of these mechanisms like occurring in real time. It's like, we're seeing them happen and it's like, Oh, that's just like this thing they did. And like, Oh wow. Ukraine is just like Afghanistan. Like just the fact that we can even notice that because it's only been 20 years um, I think is like, that's very important. It's like, 
you know, the noticers are starting to see, you know, the cycles compress and we're, we're, we're able to kind of like see how the conspiracy or the coalition or whatever cabal, whatever the dollar system, like how they operate. Um, and we, we're, we're learning from it because they have to do it so much quicker. It was like, you know, the, the, the financial crises are now happening every few years and we're probably going to have another one very shortly. Oh yeah. Um, Oh, and we've yeah. we've lived through it. I mean, I'm not. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not old by any means, and I've seen like three, you know, catastrophic. Yeah, we're the same age. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and it's like yeah. we're we're noticing. Um, I can only imagine the people that are you know 50, 60, whatever, twice our age that are are you know what they're noticing if they were really kind of paying attention. So, I think as the cycles compress, um, you know, it, it they get more desperate. Yeah, uh, they're doing it's more easier desperate to see, things. and they're more desperate. What are we going to do about it, right? Right. But before I get to that, which is the last thing I want to talk about, I do want to go back to Cardano and Charles yeah, Hoskinson. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah please. Uh, because I think it's important under the topic of the crypto colonialism stuff, right? So yeah. Hoskinson, co-founder of Ethereum, and there's several co-founders of Ethereum, yeah. one of which is Vitalik Buterin, Buterin however you yeah. say his name, yeah. uh, who I want to talk about in the context of this thing. But basically, Hoskinson has teamed up with who I mentioned earlier, this transhumanist uh, scientist that was funded by Epstein named Ben Gertzel. Uh, mm -hmm. So Cardano and SingularityNet have uh, worked to increasingly fuse their operations, and Singularity, SingularityNet is run by Ben Gertzel. Um, and Okay. Uh, around, I, I think this happened after, slightly after the uh, Cardano announced they were going to get involved with the Ethiopian government. So mm -hmm. the conversation, which is a uh, normally very unpleasant, um, at least if you're me, um, the thing, you know, outlet to read has a article that it published about this called Ethiopia's blockchain deal is a watershed moment for the technology and for Africa, and it starts off talking about the launch of Bitcoin. Again, there's this conflation of Bitcoin and how oh, everyone doesn't, you know, these are all the negative things that have come up about Bitcoin. It's been embroiled in these massive controversies, but now blockchain is being used for good and being used Yay. to contribute to the social and economic Woo! welfare of people in the developing South. That's what it says. And there is this lady's reasoning for this. Who's African, by the way, which is, right. I mean, what a sellout. Um, yeah. She's basically saying that this program by Charles Hoskinson uh, for Ethiopia is going to make everything better for Ethiopian children. Here's how she describes it. She says, a few companies have begun showcasing blockchain capabilities to various African countries. Unlike most other cryptocurrency blockchains, which focus on private sector use in developed regions like Europe and North America, their approach has been to target the governments and public institutions in the developing world. Obviously, for altruistic reasons, um, I'm being sarcastic there. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm laughing. People listening that, you know, want to yeah. take me literally on that. Uh -huh. So anyway, uh, it, she goes on. In April, the Ethiopian government confirmed that it had signed a deal to create a national database of student and teacher IDs using a decentralized digital identity solution. The deal mm. involves providing IDs for 5 million children across 3,500 schools, which will be used to store educational records. This is the largest blockchain deal ever to be signed by a government and has been making waves in the crypto asset industry. And she goes on to talk about how digital ID is going to be uh, promote real financial inclusion. Yay. Uh, but okay, so you're talking about real financial inclusion, but this is supposed to be blockchain 
for educational credentials. So obviously you can see in there that this is part of the broader uh, UN-backed, totally Orwellian digital ID um, you know, paradigm where it's your everything, your access to information, your access to medical care, your access to education, your access to money is all going to be based on this digital ID. And then she goes on to say, this is uh, what makes this promising is that this is the first main blockchain project focused on serving the African market with goals that align with the developmental agenda set out under the United Nations Sustainable <laughs> Development Goals, as well as the African Union Agenda 2063 goals, which are basically the African Union equivalent of the SDGs. Big surprise. And so then she goes wow. on to talk about Cardano and how Cardano commissioned the software uh, company input output Hong Kong or IOA, I, IOHK and Emergo, which is based in Japan to develop and maintain the Cardano uh, blockchain. And that Cardano is uh, technically owned by this Cardano Foundation, a Swiss nonprofit. And uh, the projects are based, this you know project is trying to show how the Cardano blockchain and its core technology can be used to benefit African countries. And then it goes on to say this about what Cardano, the, the project actually is. So in the case of the Oath Ethiopian deal involving Cardano and IOHK, which Charles Hoskinson uh, runs, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. He, he says, or it says, uh, Atala Prism is being used. That project will build digital identity solutions on the Cardano blockchain. The idea is to start by granting primary, secondary, and university students a digital identity that can track their educational career and future progress. So every uh, test you fail in school will be there forever. Um, you know, but this is also part of what I mentioned earlier with the Karen stateless people in Thailand and mm -hmm. Myanmar being built by ID2020, tying all of that to their vaccination records, uh, their health registry from the time they're born on, tied to their biometrics, tied to their finances. And that's essentially what's what's going on here, but it's being framed as ending crypto-colonialism mm -hmm. by some <laughs> of the same outlets that were talking about crypto-colonialism as being bad. This is supposed to be uh, how to stop it, you know, and it's backed by the UN and all this stuff. But, you know, as I just mentioned a second ago, Singularity Net is is fused with this. And this particular project, as far as I believe, I think it's Singularity Net as well, is involved with this AI lab that Epstein's uh, philanthropies helped fund into existence. So you have a lot of Epstein stuff there. And Epstein, in this deposition he gave in 2012 to the U.S. Virgin Islands, calls Africa... Uh, a great place to experiment, fertile ground for experimentation. So what do you think he's doing? Do you think Epstein wasn't a crypto colonialist? He's a serial financial criminal and sex trafficker. Um, and in his company that was, you know, he was creating at the time of that deposition, he was trying to get um, funding all these uh, programs for vulnerable use in the USVI to sort of herd them into what he was building uh, the tech comp fintech company he was building, which is basically like a coding sweatshop by the sound of it. Right. But allegedly, according to the U.S. Virgin Islands, that company founded after his first arrest was a key part of his sex trafficking operation. So what else was he trying to get vulnerable kids for from the USBI? Question mark, question mark, question mark. So um, with Ethiopia and all this stuff going on there and these people being tied to it and framing themselves as anti-crypto colonialists, very disturbing. And also the question arises because of the people involved. What is all this data being used for from these kids? 
right? Because you have, you know, Singularity Net and Ben Gertzel have this title Sophia the Robot, which is supposed to be building its AI that controls the robot, right? Off of the data it's trained on. And now they have this sort of ability to access all of this stuff. Well, they say it's decentralized, but how decentralized is it really? You know, I mean, a lot of these guys, including stable coins and all this that we've talked about today claim, oh, we're decentralized and so on and so forth. But that's not exactly always true, oh. right? Yeah, not even close to true, especially Cardano. I mean, no, it's absolutely not centralized. Or it is very centralized, not decentralized in any way. Yeah, exactly. And then you have uh, Vitalik Buterin. Sorry mm-hmm. if I'm butchering his name. Yeah, I, I think Vitalik Buterin. But Buterin. It, well, all right. His, thank ner- you. his name deserves to be butchered. Wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. You know how it is. <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Yeah. Whatever. I I speak two languages. I'm not that bad. Uh, whatever. <laughs> but uh, anyway, he came up with this thing called soulbound tokens. Are you oh. familiar with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where he's basically charting out the same idea of tracking someone, uh, you know, their whole life on uh, in these NFTs that you know are basically the same thing as what Hoskinson is building here in Ethiopia, um, and called them soulbound tokens. I mean, disturbing give me a break. ass name, give me isn't a it? Break. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think to say the very least, you know, I, I I really wish that more Bitcoiners, particularly the ones that actually have the values of original Bitcoin, like you do, would start calling this stuff out more because there's a lot of conflation, like I've talked about in some of these mainstream articles and these academic articles, but also in alternative media, you know, all Bitcoiners, everyone that has is involved in crypto in any way, they're all the same, right? Right, right. Uh, But there's a lot of, like we've talked about today, you know, there are some differences. And the question is, for Bitcoiners specifically, but also other people that may be looking to the, some of these technologies as a potential exit ramp, uh, the the ability to use that stuff as an ex- exit ramp has to be fought for. And it has to be fought for now because yes. like you've talked about, a lot of ground is being lost and the battle may eventually be lost to be able to use it that way anyway. And then it's just part of the same system you're supposed to be fighting against. So it's like everything else, you know, going on right now at some point you have to have red lines and you have to say i'm not gonna co-sign that you know it's so so messed up too specifically with it being ethiopia is like ethiopia is kind of so beautiful because it was never colonized like it actually kind of played all the colonizers against each other and it would like take weapons from one side and use it to shoot the other side and then turn it like they were never actually colonized. They were kind of the only place in Africa that really wasn't colonized. Uh, and now we're here seeing comes Epstein here and comes Charles and, and Charles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and this, this did shit is so, especially on these centralized systems, it's like you're creating a walled garden and a, and a data depot um, for that information to get leaked or, or to get taken. It's like, um, <clears throat> I mean, it's like anytime you have a collection of, I mean, even KYC exchanges have to deal with this too. It's like, I think there was a uh, a lawsuit in in, a, in Illinois, maybe there was a state where that was suing Coinbase for holding all of their data of their like 3D scans of their faces and whatever on a on a server that got that got compromised, and so all of that data got leaked. Um, that was quote unquote an accident. What these people are building and colonizing, you know, Ethiopia with, it's it's like that by design. Um, yeah. And it's it's really messed up. And this um, is what sustainable development means to the UN, who, right. again, yeah, have been captured, been captured by, by the bankers. bankers. Yeah. To reiterate yeah. that. So yeah. well, this, this is, is a banker, banker design, design vision, vision right? right? Yeah. And yeah. so, so if, if you're, you're in Bitcoin, Bitcoin to, to 
own the bankers, right? Right. Or Pelham or whatever. whatever. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing, guys? And I and I would say that a lot. I'ma say the majority of Bitcoiners understand that. I think so. Yeah. And 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 Cardano and these these other you know are basically bastardizations of. What Satoshi, what Satoshi did, did and then a recreation, recreation of centralized, of centralized banking. banking. Um, um, I, think I think people realize that with proof of stake, stake that there's like it's a it's a enrich, enrich the rich um, at the at the dilution of, of the holders, you know. Like I think people yeah. do yeah. get that, but there's like a next level to it that I think. Like people just love to scream scam, and they don't actually learn about why it's a scam, why the economic. Um, you know, uh, you know, is is set against the citizens and, and is set to enrich people. They don't really get into that and rock it and really learn it. Um, and certainly don't have necessarily an open mind to like the true depths of how disgusting all of this really is. Um, and I think DIDs are decentralized ideas are a really interesting thing because I do think that there are some really cool use cases with them if done in a way where they're self-hosted and encrypted. And, and posted, posted in a way, in a way like, like using Bitcoin, Bitcoin, you can create these like anchors. Um, and yeah, you, but yeah, most people aren't going to know to use it. No, that way, especially course, if they're, they're not told about those alternatives totally. and this type of stuff is what they're offering. Totally, this type of stuff being Cardano's stuff. Right, exactly. And even some of the decentralized, like the biggest one right now that I think people are. Um, I, think I think there's a there's whole, a whole bunch, bunch of stuff that, that I don't necessarily feel super comfortable, comfortable sharing some of the sources, sources but there's, there's going to be a lot of, of um, uh, movement, movement happening, happening in, in, in decentralized, decentralized ID standards. Um, and that, and is, that is sort of what, what this project, project that is um, called ION, that was a Microsoft project that was worked on by this guy, Daniel Burr, who's super smart, very nice guy. And now he's working for Block. Um, Jack, Jack Dorsey, Dorsey kind of deep TBD company. Um, and they're working on a Bitcoin digital ID um, that, as far as I know, yeah. is about to have some pretty big, you know, the whole thing about digital IDs in the walled garden, it, it depends on if someone with a huge, huge stake in the identification, uh, you know, sort of coalition, um, it, you, you need someone to, to adopt the standard, right? And so things that I've heard from people is that a very, very, very big, large state operation, um, maybe in California, is going to be adopting one of these web service standards. Yeah, in which I don't case... trust any of that, though. Like for me, digital ID, if you consider the fact that like the NSA and the CIA yeah. and Israel's Unit A200, GCHQ in the UK, et cetera, et cetera, can probably get into any device you have. Oh, yeah. You know, I don't really, you know, you're just... Yeah, it's like any sort of d digital ID, even if you take certain measures, is probably going to be like a sitting duck for those agencies. So if your goal is to not be surveilled and to be, quote unquote, ungovernable, I, I personally, I don't yes. know if I'm going to get involved with that, you oh, know, I, but I again, totally. you know, people trying to build parallel systems and take back our technology, yada, yada, yada. I mean, if you want to do that, fine. I don't know if that's going to be the solution that's going to get us out of that. You know, I think it's more about yeah. community building at the local level. Um totally. But, you know, I mean, at least people are, in a sense, trying to do something. But I personally, you know, I'm, I'm just wary of all digital IDs, period. Totally. <laughs> so, no, I, you know, I, people I can try I, yeah. and put a different coat of paint on it. But, I, I yeah. you know, I see it as a sitting duck for the bad I, guys. I agree 99%. Like, I definitely agree. Um, it, anytime you're creating, uh, I mean, you're, you're creating a, a, an exploitable attack surface anytime you put any of your identification sure. into a computer. 
Um, I do think like still do it, even people that are critical of it, you know, just because of how things are today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I do, and I do that too. I mean, I'm not like this perfect, like I'm pretty public, um, with like how I operate on social media and whatever. Um, and that's not all good stuff either. Um, but I do think like there is absolute power within, um, you know, PGP and some of these, uh, public key cryptography and, and, and some of these encryption decryption schemes, like they are very powerful. Um, and they have been attacked by the state, like a lot of this cryptography, like, you know, they were sort of viewed as, you know, munitions basically. And that Mm -hmm. it was like a military, you know, uh, issue that this technology was being released. And so a lot of these OG cypherpunks like put it on t-shirts, they released it as books. They did all these things to, to, you know, Phil Zimmerman to create PGP as something that could actually be used by people around the world, knowing full well, it will also be used by spies and intelligence agencies and, and, and all these people to operate horrible, horrible things. I I see what you're saying. Democratize the tools. Don't just keep it in their hands, make it available to everyone. If they're going to use it, I I can, I I get that. Right. But at the same time, I think you're totally right. And I think we should be very wary of all of these systems, including Bitcoin. And I'm, you know, I've basically devoted my life in many ways to Bitcoin uh, education or journalism or whatever. Um, And I still think that there's a less than, uh, uh, or a more than 0% chance that it was a uh, intelligence operation, right? Like it's creation, but I can still see how the technology and the tool can operate regardless in a, in a freedom way, regardless of its generation, which I think is very unique to Bitcoin. Um, but obviously that's why I'm so like jacked up about how we need to push back on this stuff because any technology yeah. can be co-opted so easily. And, and ID is just such a scary, scary world to go into. Digitally. Totally. Well, uh, we probably have to end it there because this has definitely gone on longer than a lot of my podcasts tend to. But I think it was a really uh, important conversation because a lot of stuff isn't being said. You know, a lot of what you've talked about and we've talked about today isn't really being said, especially in the Bitcoin space. So I really hope more people uh, with the same, you know, sort of value set that you have in the Bitcoin space do come forward at the very least to differentiate themselves from people like Charles Hoskinson, because there are people that throw everyone in the same mix and i don't really think you know that's fair knowing people like you and others like you so i definitely think the more voices that are added uh you know about these issues the better off we will be uh but you have mentioned a couple times that you have an upcoming book about some Mm -hmm. of what we've discussed today the bitcoin dollars so kit work uh when and where uh what details regarding those things about the book you know uh why don't you let us know that and where people can follow you on social media etc yeah, totally. So, um, yeah, I, uh, the book's been finished up for a bit. Um, I, I literally got a message from the publisher as I was talking to you right now. So about to have a call to talk about some other things. Um, so hopefully very soon. I was hoping to have it out uh, in time for the conference, um, which was a couple weeks ago. Um, unfortunately, that, that wasn't able to, to, to happen. But I'm thinking hopefully in the next couple months, um, certainly by the end of the year, um, especially because I think just so many of the things within the, the thesis are sort of already playing out, um, you know, so, but a lot of the stuff I've written about is, is, is available on bitcoinmagazine.com. You can kind of search by author. You can search Mark Goodman and find, find me there. I've written a lot of stuff on there about digital dollars, stable coins, the, you know, the, the birth of the Bitcoin dollar is kind of my first article for the magazine. And that kind of sets the tone for the thesis. So, um, 
we'll be publishing with Bitcoin Magazine as well, which I'm very excited about. We are continuing the physical print uh, world. Um, obviously, you know, I run the editorial for the print magazine, which um, we're very stoked that you've been in now a bunch of times, which is awesome. We hope that well, continues twice. to happen. <laughs> well, we'll yeah. be three. And uh, oh, right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, that's a bunch of times, you know, three is a crap. And uh, <laughs> you can uh, so definitely find us there, um, stored at BitcoinMagazine.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Mark Goodwin with an underscore between the W and the I-N. And uh, yeah, I hope to see y'all out on the battlefield um, yelling about this stuff because uh, it's super important. And uh, yeah, I um, yeah, thanks so much for having me. This was Absolutely. an absolute blast. I definitely think it's a battlefield, and I think yeah. a lot of people don't see that. I mean, it, there it is an information war, and I think right now, to an extent, Bitcoiners uh, are losing that. Yeah. So I think this is a big, um, you know, uh, what a lot of what you've shared today, I think, is a, a step in the right direction for yes. Bitcoiners. I hope more will come out and show what side they're on, because it really is a time for everyone to start picking sides. Are you going to back this banker? dystop banker built dystopia or are we going to build something different and you know it it's time to pick the side most definitely and i think the more people that are vocal uh, the less you're going to see these conflations of the people that are building that with stable coins and cryptocurrency and even with dollarized bitcoin and then and then you know the people on the side against all of that i i hope I, I really hope to see more of that in, in the not so distant future because who, who knows how much time we have left of a not totally censored internet you know that's i i agree yeah most scary definitely. reality all right well thanks so much for joining me today mark uh really enjoyed this conversation probably why it ran really long but i really enjoyed it <laughs> so you know uh thanks again thanks for your time thanks to everyone listening uh and please feel free to share this around and thanks to everyone as always that supports this podcast and makes it possible couldn't do this without you and we'll catch you all in the next episode thanks so much thanks